We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. We're here. I wish I could keep this feeling. I wish I could keep this feeling. Hi, Blue Wire listeners. I'm Greg Olson. I'm excited to partner with Blue Wire to bring you TE1, a podcast where I interview the tight ends who have revolutionized the position. Listen in as I have raw, in-depth conversations with the all-time greats like Shannon Sharp, Tony Gonzalez, Travis Kelsey, and George Kittle. We'll explore how the tight end position has changed over the last 60 years and what it takes to be the very best. Subscribe to TE1 from Blue Wire Studios today so you're ready for the August premiere. What up, everybody? Welcome to another week of the Corner Podcast. Kel Dansby here with the old man, Andreas Hale, and we are going back to back with boxing and MMA coverage. So if you guys haven't checked out our Thursday episode, go and do that. It was fun. It was a great time. And you can see where we went wrong or right with our predictions before you listen to this one. If you did listen to that one, perfect. You're here right on time because we're recapping UFC 252 with Stipe and Daniel Cormier. We're talking about a packed day in boxing on Saturday, and I guess Friday too. A ton happened there. And then, of course, we're talking about the continued success of the old man, Andreas Hale. On the last show, he teased something for this weekend, and then it has come to fruition, so we can talk about it. Real quick, let me give you a clap, sir. Congrats again. You produced a dope segment for DAZN that aired during the broadcast from Tulsa. It was incredible. It was on... Well, I'll let you explain it. Go ahead. It's not my package. You explain it. <laughs> so, yeah, man. I, I mean, I got the... Uh, <clears throat> I guess I'll put it like this. The, the zone has been 
interested in uh, diversifying their coverage. Now, mind you, I'm one of the very, 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 very few black people there. So we had a call. Uh, they wanted to get me involved more in the broadcast. And initially they threw some ideas at me. And um, I said, uh, well, this fight's in Tulsa, right? They were like, yeah. And I was like, how long you guys been talking about this? Four weeks. I said, all right. So um, it never crossed your mind that the gr- the biggest mass- racial massacre in American history happened like less than a mile from where the boxing ring set up? No. Oh. So we're going to do something on Black Wall Street and the Tulsa Race Massacre. And uh, one of my guys, Evan, uh, good guy, he was like, I think that's exactly what we need to do. So I guess there was some push and pull on how to get this done. I got a re- week to write my script, um, do my voiceover, and uh, turn it into a, a full-fledged product that we ran on Saturday ahead of the main event. Um, for those of you who saw it and you know and, and appreciated it, good because it's important. Because there are, they, nobody's going to tell me to my face that if it failed, we're not going to do things like this again. <laughs> but, <laughs> you know, like nobody, if it doesn't work, they go, oh, well, nobody cares. So we can't do stuff like this. So the more people that watch it and the more people that share it and the more people say we want to see more of this. Because um, it's me basically giving a two minute rundown of what happened in Tulsa, Oklahoma, uh, 100 years ago. The 100th anniversary will be next June, 100 years ago, where for those who don't know. I said it in my segment, yeah, a bunch of white people ran up in Greenwood, which was Black Wall Street, where um, it was an affluent African-American neighborhood. And remember, this is like 1921. So black people were just like fresh off being slaves. But this community had their own money, banks, lawyers, entrepreneurs, attorneys, everything. And like there was two airports in Oklahoma and six of the families that lived in Greenwood owned two. Six of the families owned airplanes, owned them outright. And then, so what happened is uh, a young man named Dick Rowland, he was 19, uh, he was a shoe shiner in the courthouse that was less than a block away from the boxing ring was set up. Uh, he went into an elevator and there was a 17-year-old uh, white girl named Sally. And they say he slipped and fell in the elevator and the girl yelled and the, somebody said that he sexually assaulted her. The girl never said this. Never. Never said this. And the newspaper ran with a headline about nabbing a Negro and the lynch mob came out and tried to lynch him. And the black people from Greenwood were like, you ain't going to do that shit. Went and bought a bunch of guns, met him at the courthouse, had a standoff, shots were fired, fists flew. They didn't get their hands on Dick Rowland. But the white people were that pissed off. They had some Klan members involved that they went and they burned down Greenwood. 35 city blocks, murdered 300 people, injured hundreds more, knocked out every business there. And the National Guard didn't intervene for 19 hours. So that kind of history is important. And the fact that I got the opportunity to tell that story on our broadcast um, with my voice, my words that I wrote meant the world to me. So, yeah, it was a it was a lot. It, it was a lot. I mean, obviously, you know, I got this little book deal popping off and work as normal and if those of you listening like it's, it's it's a lot going on so that being able to see that come to life and i couldn't watch it man like I, I tell you guys this all the time i can't listen to myself i can't i just can't i just gotta take people's word for it is it good or bad because i ain't gonna listen to that shit it's really hard but it seems like people enjoyed it so um 
again, it's two minutes, 20 seconds. I really couldn't go into great detail about what happened. So I hope that a lot of people that watched it go back and read about Black Wall Street and the Tulsa Race Massacre. Um, fortunately, a lot of you that watched The Watchmen were made aware of this because the show did that. Um, I'm just glad that we can put our stamp on it because for me, the original script I, I put and they were like, you can't say that. I was like, how dare we do an event in Tulsa and not acknowledge this incident from 100 years ago? He was like, we can't say that. We just didn't know. And I was like, all right, cool. I'll flip it. I'll make it sound a little bit better because I just don't think you can go anywhere where there's such racial history in this particular social climate and not address it. I think it's irresponsible. So A lot of people don't know, though. Even still, in this social climate, isn't that like half the battle in this social climate? It's yes. like white privilege. It's just privileged by a lot of people. There's, you know, it's crazy to think about, but there's people who are black who are privileged. Yes. They have no clue about these things. Right. And they think slavery is so far removed or segregation is so far removed. And, all, and it's really not. Not at all. Not at so, all. And I think that's the, uh, the important thing for me is that we keep doing this because I told them, I was like, it doesn't have to always be about a city. It could be about a fighter. It could be about a business. It could be about an event. It can be about anything. But there's so many things. And I was like, all you got to do is ask me. Like, I, like, where are you going? Who's fighting? All right, I'll put something together because there's so much history of not even just black and brown people. Like, I'll tell you guys this because none of you guys are going to run off and steal it because you can't. Um, I've pitched this idea to talk about colorism with Canelo because Canelo is a redheaded, freckle-faced, fair-skinned Mexican from Guadalajara. And I know he had to deal with colorism because he didn't look like a Mexican. So I've always wanted to do this piece where he talks about growing up, looking the way that he looked. It benefits him now. He's super mainstream. Like, his look is very commercial. But back then, in Mexico, I guarantee you he wasn't accepted by his peers. So I've always wanted to do this story on Canelo. And I told him, I was like, listen, it's important that we tell all these stories. The only stories that I don't care to tell are white ones. And that's not because I don't like white people. It's just because you get your stories told all the fucking time. Yeah, I'm not sure you'd be the greatest messenger for that anyway. I, I would, because like, all them stories, like, not all of them. A lot of them, if they were historic, are going to be bad. Like, it's like, oh, yeah, this is the place where the white people killed this guy, or they hung this guy. Like, the good stories have already been told. There, I don't think there's too many good, straight white people stories that have not been told in America. No, not like American white. Uh, shout out to Mark Kriegel, who did one hell of a story on the Irish this weekend. Yeah, he did. Like the Northern Ireland, like with, um, uh, with Conlon fighting, and Frampton fighting, he did a nice little two, three minute piece on that. Yeah, so I've, those stories can still be told. Absolutely, other countries, other people, other marginalized people who have dealt with poverty and race. I, I think those are great. I just think the average white American story is been told to death, and I think. I know, considering boxing is a vast majority of people of color, and now we have women involved as well on a high platform, which we'll talk about the card later, I think it's important to tell those stories, the hurdles that they had to go through. Like, I really wanted to talk about um, Bruckus' story, because yes. a lot of people don't know the shit that she went through to get to where she's at. Like, she had, boxing was banned in Norway. <laughs> banned in her country. <laughs> she had to get the fuck out of there. That was also a good piece. Yeah. Like, uh, they ran a good piece on her this weekend. Yo, y'all have been doing some good shit, though. That's like, I, I like the, the setups 
for the cards, I think the match placement has been spot on, highlighting the women. Um, the production value is impeccable. I think I hit you up like when the fight started. I was like, yo, having this ring on the street is just phenomenal. Yeah, I thought, I'll be honest. When, I, when, when we first got the message that Eddie was planning on staging a uh, fight in the, on the intersection in downtown Tulsa, I was like, that sounds terrible. Initially, that's what I thought. I was like, this is horrible. Like, oh, this ain't going to work. But then after I saw what his backyard looked like, I was like, oh, well. The backyard is just incredible, too. Like, you could hold a WrestleMania there, and I'd be like, shit, all right. That looks yeah, cool. grand. That's, um, that's, that's no, but that street venue was amazing. Yeah. But not for nothing, if you can't have fans and shit, it'd be real dope. Like, I look at that, and I'd be like, yo, you could have had the NFL draft in Vegas. Yeah. You just shut down the strip, clear everyone out, test yep. people, and you go right out to the street, and, and you're good. Wrestling could pull that off. There's no reason why WWE can't have a full-fledged match in the middle of the strip with the Bellagio Fountains in the back. It'd be expensive, Close. but yeah. It'd be expensive. Fuck it. You, you, don't, you don't think Vegas is hurting for money? It might be cheap right now in the grand scheme of what they would usually charge. Hmm, possible. you probably get a discount. So, I mean, you know, Vegas, other places, like, I'm sure Tulsa was like, yeah, sure. Bring in some money to our economy, please. Not every day you get fights in Tulsa or people paying to close down the street. Right. So, no, I thought that was a great thing. And outside of the box, there's a lot of good stuff going on there. Um, so I'm, I'm not mad at it. Shout out to Eddie Hearn doing his thing with that. And it's funny that you mentioned you didn't watch it. Uh, your piece specifically, you obviously watched the fights. Because you were getting a lot of praise. I thought it gained a lot of traction, a lot of good words from people, you know, you know, you didn't know. It, it kind of filtered through, like, okay, people you know commented when you posted it. And then it took on a life of its own. Where random people were like, yo, I had no clue this happened. Yeah. Or, oh, my God, this is so great. Or, you know, just, oh, this is important to tell these stories. And I was like, damn, okay, the, the reach on this is getting pretty good and then i looked at the views that the piece got for a straight up like historical piece connected to boxing it did great in terms of views yeah so they were honestly, happy they were happy i mean look they man, should be i don't <laughs> listen listen i, I we're, we're family here. we can talk i never am sure what the whites are thinking right like i'm just never sure like i'm always in the room and i'm looking and i say something and i, I see smiles and shit like yeah yeah but then like when it doesn't happen I was like, okay, who's the one that said no? And then who was like, I'm so glad you said no because I'm jumping on that bandwagon too. <laughs> Fuck that shit. Like, <laughs> I know it happens. say it first. <laughs> yeah, like, I know it happened. So the way that this got pushed through was, like, it happened. There was some pushback. I know it was, like, production. It was, like, some technical stuff as well. But my man Evan was like, and Steve Brayman, who used to work at ESPN, was just like, no, we got to make this happen. And Andres is right here. He's the one to do it. And he'll write it. And because I know that I'm, I'm sure they thought about somebody else voicing it. And they was like, no, he's the only one that can do this. So hopefully, you know, you'll see some more of these pieces with our fights and uh, and uh, still some more cool shit coming. Something that was supposed to get advertised last night didn't. So now I got another surprise coming for you guys for Saturday. Uh, and I don't know when we're going to air the spot, but there's something else coming. Damn, I kind of not really gave it away, but there's something coming this Saturday. So you have to be on the lookout for that as well. Well, listen, I am intrigued. Can't wait. And before we get to the rest of the stuff that happened with boxing, 
I bring all this up to ask you and to tell you, and it's a much deeper conversation. I thought about this yesterday when someone was talking to me, but then I was like, yo, I got to tell you, you, sir, have to change your mindset. You're usually the old man. You're the wise one on the show. I'm flying off with hot takes, but I got to tell you on wax, you got to change your mindset because this was one of those situations where I look back and I'd be like, cool, like you specifically because we're friends we know each other for a long ass time now yes yeah, a long time um, i know you guys yeah long, long time but you have been doing great shit for longer than you even knew me the stories you've told on this podcast the fact that you were in a church group in vegas at 14 and through a you know got a concert planned and jay-z was the headliner of this concert no one came but you still got reasonable doubt jay-z like you've been doing shit that are has been outside of the box and outside of the realm of possibility for a long time. So it was cool. I was like, yeah, people are giving Andreas his flowers while he can still see them or smell them or whatever the shit is, whatever the saying is. So cool, giving Andreas his flowers. And then you, still being you, are like, oh man, thank you. Cool. No, I appreciate that. And then you're like, just in the background, still chilling. You're like, oh, it's okay. I'm like, yo, you better stop downplaying this shit. You better take these flowers. So you, sir, have to start taking praise as much as you take criticism. Because when you told us about this project, immediately you said, okay, here it is. Give me your thoughts. Honest opinions. Like, tell me what's wrong. And that's the mindset you always have. You're, you're trying to fix stuff. You want that honesty. You want this. You have no problem taking criticism. You welcome that. But you fade away from taking praise. We're changing that today. You got to start accepting this praise. And you got to listen to You got to like watch your stuff. But we'll get there sometime later. <laughs> um, but at least take the praise when it's given to you. Because you, you are like extremely humble. But like there's these moments that pop up where it's like, yo, old man, stun on him a little bit. Like, yeah, this is my shit. It's fire, huh? Like, it's okay. It's all right for you, though, know, to, to boast about it. It's dope. So that was one thing. I was like, this this guy needs to just let the humility go sometimes. Be like, you know what? Yeah, fuck it. This is really dope. And not, oh, I hope they're going to let me do this. Like, no, this is dope. They're, they know it's dope. And you're going to be seeing a lot more of this. Case closed. Because that's what's going to happen anyway. Like, it wasn't bad. Like, they, you knew it was going to be good. And you knew they were going to allow you to do more. And they will. So it's one of those things where it's like, you know what? Just say it. It's okay. We're going we're gonna to say it for you until then. Well, but just say it. Like, it's, it's hard. And the bigger conversation is, is since we talk so much about, like, the black community and, you know, just how black people are in journalism, especially, you know, just in our field specifically and in other fields where... So few of us stand out, if we're just being honest. So few of us are allowed to stand out. How about that? And allowed to showcase our greatness. And when we do, it is looked at as Deontay Wilder's too loud. Right? You can't express that. People have started to dislike LeBron because he's too great. Because he, you know, he's talking about black issues. Like, the louder and bigger your voice is, the more greatness you showcase, the more people try to hinder that. So, I think it's an overall problem, like, in our community where it's like, 
yeah, we could show humility, and we should, but at certain points, we got to stand up and be like, no, we're the shit. We're the tastemakers. We are the people controlling the narrative. And FYI, you can't do what I can do. Hmm. And this is one of your moments, and I, I think that's a larger problem in our community. So I start with you, because we're on this podcast, and you're my co-host. But I, I think that's something as black men, black women, for future black generations, is, okay, we're now telling the stories. Our goal, when we started this show, and when we started Wrestling With Stereotypes, is to tell our stories as black, brown, minority, transgender, LGBTQ, whatever it may be, to tell those stories. That was our goal. Now it's time to tell this shit with confidence. Not, we want to tell these, it's we're going to tell these. We are, this is our platform, we deserve to be here. And walking around like it. I feel like I just got reprimanded. Um. <laughs> in a good way, in the most positive way possible. But you know that, that that's real. That's something I notice a, a lot of times. Um, you talk about like Ava a lot as well, and you guys have had conversations all this. And what she does is amazing. But I see a lot of her interviews, and it's still that like humility behind it, where it's like, yeah, cool. No, I really like this project. It's near and dear to my heart. I'm glad I was able to you know put these actors in those roles. No one explains, no white director explains why white kids with no acting, major acting, you know, films or shows on their resume got lead roles. No one. Ava has to explain why this person was booked for this role and everything in every interview I see. And then talk them up on how good they are. For what? Their shit speaks for themselves. We deserve to do that. And if they're trash, we deserve to put trash people in trash shit too. It doesn't matter. We deserve these things. And that's one thing I've noticed as a community. We have to start being like, no, fuck this. We deserve to do this. And we're good at it. So if it makes you uncomfortable, so be it. Hmm. Well, I need an advocate. You you up for the job? Like, you want to be my Paul Andy? Like, Jesus Christ. Um... So I'll say this because, you know, the reason why I'm the way that I am is my upbringing and not to get too deep into it, but I always felt like things could get taken away from you at any second, you know, and if you feel like you've won, then what are you fighting for? So I never feel like I won. And it's really kind of I've noticed it's like a tragic mindset to have because sometimes you don't stop and appreciate the things that you've accomplished. And I don't a lot. I mean, you know, I always feel like there's more work to do, no matter what I've done. So when these opportunities come up and I do something like this, I'm kind of always looking ahead. Like you mentioned Kriegel. Like I look at Kriegel's piece. And I was like, ah, yeah, I need to get to that point. And if I ever get to Kriegel's point, I'm going to look at somebody else and be like, I need to get to that point. So it's always going to be something for me to do. And I'm never satisfied. I get it. You know, I know a lot of people who's like, hey, man, you're doing so much. But it's. I'm not done. And it's hard for me to even feel like I've accomplished a lot because the the most difficult part for me is finding something to compare myself to. And what I mean by that is like when I started in journalism, I didn't go to college for it. I didn't get a degree. I went to Morehouse for business management and I fell into music writing. 
And everything that took off from there was I like I met a bunch of people that was like, you know, like my writers at a time when I was at DX and hip hop side and even BT, they all had college degrees. And I was like, wow, okay. And for a while I was embarrassed to tell people I didn't have a college degree. But then I was somebody was like, Well, you should wear that shit like a badge of honor. Right? They was like, You dropped it out of college before Kanye. And I was like, Yeah, well, it's a different set of circumstances, but yeah, I get it. But so but I never really had a template to go on. And that's why I always told like rappers and artists or journalists, like you can't follow somebody else's path because they got a lot of breaks that you won't get. Because like no path, two paths are the same ever. Like I, I've met people who's like, I'm gonna be a college dropout like Kanye. That path, that 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 street is closed. It's never gonna reopen. So for me, I never had something to, to look up to necessarily or pattern myself after. So what I did was I always looked at it like, well, uh, story. At DX, we used to have these conferences. Justin Ivy, who's in our group chat, who now works at DX. Uh, Anthony Springer, AJ. Uh, worked at DX under me. He was one of my. He was a lead news writer once upon a time. Uh, they know about these, and there was one of these conferences where uh, the owner was at the time. His goal was to kill all hip hop, like that. We'd have meetings. It was like, gotta murder all hip hop. We gotta get him out of here. And I was like, this is a dumb mindset. And he was like, why? I was like, Cause I never pattern myself off another outlet, never. Like, I don't look at another hip-hop outlet as like, I want to be like them. I was like, you know what I want to do? I want to be the ESPN of hip-hop. Like, I want to cover all facets of it and well with great production value. Because once you beat all hip-hop, then what? Because it, it may not be up to you beating all hip-hop. It may be all hip-hop beating themselves. And then now you're the de facto number one, but what motivates you then? So that's always been my mindset is I always look at things and I'm like, like doing this for Tulsa piece in boxing meant a lot to me because nobody really does this shit. And I've noticed, which I've come to find out, is there's not really many black people in this space to even tell these stories yep. that aren't fighters. Like, and I appreciate Andre Ward, Tim Bradley, Roy Jones, George Foreman, Lennox Lewis, everybody, Emmanuel Stewart, everybody who's done commentary. But how many times, with the exception of Brian Custer, off the top of my head, how many black people have we seen in commentary positions that weren't in the sport. That's and think about it. Yeah, it's tough because you have Max Kellerman, Jim Lampley, uh, you have Larry Merchant. Like you, you run down the list of Com- Morrow. You run down the list, and this is not saying that they don't deserve to be where they are at. It's the fact that the only black people I used to always see fought, and I was like, is that yeah. the only way in? Is that I had to get in the ring and fight so I could talk about fighting? Or can I be just like Dan Raphael? Or I could just be like Keith Eidick, who Keith Eidick is a great guy from boxing scene. I love all those guys. Jake Donovan. All those guys are great. I want to be in commentary, but I don't necessarily have to get in the ring because they fucking didn't. They didn't have to. doesn't make him any less knowledgeable about the sport. I love what Max does. I've always talked highly of Max. I like what Max does, but he's never stepped into a boxing ring, a basketball court, baseball, none of that shit. But why do we always have to play the sport in order to talk about it? So that's always my end game. My, my end game is I don't look at inspiration because there ain't none when it comes to my peers. There's dope people. In hip-hop, it was Elliot Wilson for a minute. I was like, man, I used to love the editorials in front of XXL. I was like, talk your shit. That's dope. That was the original hip-hop blog. Yeah. But then I, one day I said, I don't want to be, no disrespect to Elliot, because I still think he's doing great work. 
I just didn't want to be stuck in hip hop because that's not who I am. That's, that's a big part of who I am, but I need to spread this seed elsewhere. So it's really hard for me to bring this back full circle to look at my work and say I did it because it ain't done. Like, I still got so many more things I want to do, man. Like, I still want to, I've talked about this with my wife for years. I still want to mentor young journalists, young black journalists, not even journalists, storytellers, creatives. Like, the youth group that I had meant the world to me. I want to do that. I need to find time to do that. And every time I don't do that, every day that passes, literally, in my mind, I was like, man, I failed. I, I got to find time to do this. There's always time to help people. So, in a way, I put way too much pressure on myself. <laughs> like I do. It's true. Um, yeah, that's that's tough. I mean, I will tell you this from what you just said. And I, this highlights the importance of what I told you to start this. In which the humility is great, but saying it with confidence, saying it with bravado carries a lot of weight. And that's where we have to get to. And you pointed out like, yo, no one really had this path that I was looking for. But, and you were searching for that inspiration, right? But something you don't know, or maybe you do it, whatever, you said like, yo, I don't have a college degree. You you got to that point where you tell people, you, you've shed that humility that, oh, maybe I shouldn't tell people. And you just started saying that shit with confidence. Like, no, I'm so good, I don't have a college degree. So what, I still deserve to be here. And you, you said this openly for years. And you don't understand how you saying it openly and with confidence then affected me because I had someone where I could point to and say, nah, he doesn't have one because I don't. But I wasn't searching for someone like you were searching for someone. I knew someone. I knew someone who got to where I wanted to go and was still climbing without one. And I said, boom, I can do it. Easy. This step, this step, this step. So I never stopped writing. I could have stopped at BSO. I could have just been whatever. People could have said he's a blogger. I could have just been happy getting into events and, and sitting in media row. But no, I kept writing. I kept finding new outlets to write for. You know why I thought and I knew I could work for eight outlets at once? Because you do. So I knew I could work for BSO and Champions and then the newspaper and Champions and then RondaRousey.com and do this show and do wrestling with stereotypes so i can have six jobs at once and no one ever told me no because of a degree and i never expected him to because no one told you no and that's because you said it with your chest if you would have never said like yo i don't have a degree and it hasn't stopped me i would have known and maybe i would have been lost for inspiration and that's where the confidence comes in and expecting to be somewhere i expected to be where i am now because you expected to do the stuff you wanted to do and said it like, fuck it, I don't have a degree, it ain't stopping. So if we do that in all aspects, you don't know who you're affecting. You don't know who you're mentoring without mentoring. And that's the point we have to get to. So thank you, everyone. Thank you for listening. This has been our TED Talk. <laughs> um, we will be back after this break, and we'll actually dive into the actual boxing and the UFC. We're going to drink... To you, old man, during the break, you guys stay tuned. We'll be right back. All right, we'll get back to the show in a second. 
But first, from tight muscles, tough workouts, signs of aging, to simply making it through each busy day, everyone understands what it feels like to be tense and sore. So everyone can benefit from TheraOne's CBD products. Started by Dr. Jason Worsland, TheraBody exists to provide you with the best scientifically validated natural solutions to help soothe your body and relax your mind. It started with a revolutionary Theragun percussive therapy device when Dr. Jason saw the benefits of using CBD in his treatments. He created TheraOne to bring you CBD products done right. A lot of CBD products claim organic, but still contain up to 30% filler. And these fillers are potentially toxic. TheraOne tests their products four times before they get to you. Every product is USDA certified organic, grown in the US, and their CBD extracts are the highest quality available anywhere. Use TheraOne's warming lotion in your morning routine, the cooling lotion or massage oil to recover, body balm for targeted relief, and sleep tincture to drift into a deep night's sleep. And now through Labor Day, Monday, September 7th, TheraOne is offering our listeners a buy one, get one free on all TheraOne products. But you've got to go to theragun.com slash bluewire. If you don't love what you get from TheraOne, send it back for a full refund within 30 days of purchase. This is not something TheraOne is likely to do again. So go to their website, buy one, get one free at theragun.com slash bluewire. But only until Labor Day. Go right now to theragun.com slash bluewire. All right, just that quick, we are back. And now that we got all that heavy, super emotional stuff out of the way in the first segment, it's time to talk about the actual boxing that occurred this past weekend and dive straight into the fights. First one up, Carl Frampton gets the TKO in his fight and sets up the Jamel Herring title fight at 130. I thought Frampton could have looked better. He ended it with a slick body punch KO um, TKO, it's his second in a row. So he's really been crushing it to the body. And he'll have to do that if he wants to defeat Jamel Herring, who's super tough. But I still wasn't wowed. But I don't know how much I can judge. And we'll talk about some other fights from this weekend during this coronavirus process. I don't know if it's the lack of training, places to train, training in basements, not having the proper nutrition, and just being out of your rhythm to blame for looking rusty. Or if... You know, some of these guys just aren't, I'm not going to say he's not as good, but it, it just didn't wow me. Like, he's going to really be a super, a super player at 130. I, I just didn't see it. Yeah, I mean, first and foremost, the body shot, when you hit somebody so hard that they don't say ow and they go, fuck this. Like, that's how hard trainer got hit. Like, he got he hit just the waved body. it off. Yeah, he, he just looked, he looked, he, he didn't even really grimace. He was like, bang. And he looked at the ref, he's like, I'm out. Thank you, cuz. It's been great. Say hi to the kids for me. I'm going home. I've never really seen that. Because the first body shot he got hit with it dropped him. You heard him oddly go, oh, and he hit the canvas face first. I don't know how he got up. That was impressive. And I was like, well, he's a tough dude. And Frampton was like, I'm going to stick to this body. Hit him in that body so hard, my man said, I'm going home. <laughs> that was impressive. But to that point, until the body work paid off later in the fight, I didn't think Frampton looked all that great. And I kind of, I think we talked about that last week. I was like, he's good, but he's not great. Now, I will say this, though. I kind of think the same way about Herring. 
I don't think he's he hasn't shown me that he's great. I think this is actually a really good fight. Because yeah, I know Frampton didn't look like the greatest fighter. I, I think Herring is still gonna be the favorite in that fight, and rightfully so. But I think it's a little bit more evenly matched than people are are letting on to. It's a really good fight. But Frampton wasn't like terribly impressive. He just wasn't. Yeah, I'm I'm looking at it. It it's weird. I don't know how to judge people in their I want to say age bracket or in their experience of fighting. To me, they got these 130-pound titles at the right time. So by that, I mean Frampton, Leo Santa Cruz, Jamel Herring. And Herring's great, fun guy, all this. But skill level-wise, none of them are as good as the young guys about to catch them. I don't, I don't think Leo Santa Cruz is as good as Javante Davis. No. He, he has the chance to prove this, but I, I don't see the skill sets matching up. Well, you know what? I will say this also, that... When it comes to, like, Leo Santa Cruz, I will say I feel like Javante's kind of catching him at the right time. It's not the Leo Santa Cruz at 122 pounds that was throwing 100 punches around. This is okay. a Leo Santa Cruz that's a little bit more measured. You know, he had his wars with Abner Mares. Like, he's not the same guy. And he's fighting a guy who's going to be bigger than him. So I can't... On the flip side of, yeah, there's a lot of young talent that's coming up, but they haven't really been tested either. They've just looked good against whoever. The only person I've seen that I keep saying is Tiafimo. He's only got like fighting Richard Comey is a big deal. Yeah. Everybody else, Haney, Garcia, and even Ryan to an, to a degree, like he's fought like Fonseca and Javante fought Fonseca and Javante went what eight rounds with him unnecessarily. Yep. So it's it'll be interesting to see these guys get paired up and how the fights actually play out because it's weird that Frampton, Leo, Abner, if he ever comes back, um. They're like the older guard now. Yep. And you have the new guard. And it hasn't been that long ago. Like, boxing, it turns over quick. So I'd like to see the. I want to see these fights happen sooner than later so we can figure out who the class of these divisions are. Because it's, it's getting complicated because there's a lot of talent out there. But, again, Frampton looked good, not great. Herring is a perfect opponent. Well, he's the champion. So... He's he's the perfect guy. So like you either shit off, get off the pot because if Frampton, if you can't beat Jamal Herring, not no disrespect to Herring, but it's it's a wrap for you. Whereas if Jamal if Jamal wins, you look at the situation, and you go, well, maybe he is better than we think. And a lot of people think he's really good. I'm just not on that. I think he's he's a he's good. He's a good champion. I just don't put him with the the elite yet. No, I I don't see anyone at 130 pounds giving Shakur Stevenson an ounce of problems. I gotta see him get hit. I don't think he will, but I think I, I agree. I'm not sure if they hit him. <laughs> so yeah, I want to see him get hit too. I don't think any of those guys hit him. No, not hard enough right. to make a difference. Yeah, I mean you're probably right with Shakur because defense is one of those things that you can't, you don't really lose it, right? Like yep. guys like Tank go to war, and the reason why I say Tank needs to get hit in the mouth is because his offense is his defense. So yep. Tank is that way. Devin's got pretty good defense. Ryan, he's Ryan Garcia's never really shown me a great deal of defense, so I need to see him get hit in the mouth. Like, how do you react? He got hit in the body and got hurt real bad in an earlier fight, but I need to see you get rocked. And how do you recover from that? Yep. So Shakur is probably one of the best when it comes to that, under 25. Like, he's showing, like, you can look at him. He passes the eye test. Yep. The only problem with Shakur that I'm curious about is when we start talking about guys like John Dotson later on this show, is do you keep the momentum and do you keep the punch output 
or do you start relying on certain things and then when somebody neutralizes it you can't figure out how to get away from that see i i think his best quality is his ring iq so like floyd like man i mean there's there's been several people i think maybe and it's early right but he has a lot of experience already so so you look at it and he has that ability to adjust and he has the ability now because we haven't seen him make too many adjustments right he hasn't been tested that much but he has the ability to dominate in whatever way he wants and to me that shows then later on you will have the ability to adjust much like floyd floyd wasn't tested for a great deal of his early career but he could pick how he wanted to fight certain people Right. It's like John Jones. I want to beat this guy, and I want to beat him this way. And you can go out there and do it. So when you got to pull multiple tricks out of your bag, you've done this all in live competition because you've chosen to. Yo, I, you know what? I'm not going to do a high punch output. I'm going to sit back. I'm going to just use defense and counter punch. Both Floyd and Shakur do that. Or you know what? I feel like turning it up and being aggressive. And I'm going to walk him down while still not getting hit. Boom. They can both do that. They can use movement. They can sit against the ropes. They can corner their, cut their opponent off if they want. Just so many tools in the toolbox. Now you look at Tank. How many tools does the guy have? That I don't know. He has power. <laughs> yeah. He has power. And to me, he has heart. Outside of that, I don't know. See, I don't even know if he has heart because he hasn't really had an opportunity to show it. He probably does. He, I mean, I hate to assume well, he, guys. He has rounds. How about that? Like, yeah. some of the other guys don't have rounds. Well, yeah. Ryan Garcia really doesn't have rounds. I can't tell you if he has heart. If you don't, you, I don't even know how you're going to do later on in a fight. We're about to talk about Madrimov. Yeah. Stuff wasn't going his way. I count it as him having heart because I've seen him in rounds. Oh, he figured. What? Like, yeah, that, that yeah. he's a special case. Like, the, guys like him... <laughs> Those guys from, like, the Eastern Europeans, they're just wired different. And True. The, the way that they fight is just different. The way they figure shit out is just different. And it's also because they have, like, this significant amount of a- amateur experience and success. And it's the reason why, like, people look at him and like, how's he getting a title shot? He's, like, 5-0. and oh. Well, because shit, he, like, him, Lomachenko, like, they all spend a lot of time in the amateurs, and it translates quick. Like, they're like, why? I'm not here to waste any time. Let's yep. get it. Whereas... Got somebody like Javante, like, does anybody ever talk about Javante's amateur career? Like, Shakur's we talk about because we saw him in the Olympics. And we've seen how good he is. Like, Javante, we don't, we're not really sure about Javante. He could be amazing. I just need to see that man don't, tested. Yeah, don't know. When you get into a chess match, how do you respond? So, I, I, I don't know about him. Haney, I'm okay with. What impressed me about Haney is his... At like 17, he said, I'm not getting enough fights here. And he went down to Mexico and piled up like, what, 13 fights in a year and a half. In a hostile environment. Yeah. Yeah. Like, he just went to Mexico. Like, yo, I'm chilling down here for like a year. And compiled fights. So, I like that about him. That shows me something about his character. Yeah. And That's that, the Canelo route. Yeah. I think something that Devin Haney has that other fighters don't is his dad. Like, a lot of people have their fathers in the corner. But Bill Haney, Devin's dad, don't fuck around. <laughs> like, he, like he's the one who took his son to Mexico and was right there. And I've known Bill for a while. 
And I've watched him, how he works with his son. Like, I've been in their gym sessions numerous times. And, like, him and Kenny Porter treat their kids like, you're my son, but I don't give a fuck right now. And I really love that about both of them. <laughs> and it helps. Where Adrian Broner, and I hate putting Javante in that category, but it's really because of the outside of the ring antics. Devin doesn't get himself in any trouble. We don't see it. Right? No. Just Shaqu- like Sean. Like, he just keeps to himself. Yeah, Sean doesn't get in any trouble. And, you know, full disclaimer, like, I've known Sean for a while. We don't live too far from each other in Vegas. Like, we've met each other's kids, all that shit. But Sean is very, like, low-key. You don't catch him out doing shit. But it's because his dad. His dad really has kept him, like, reeled in. But when you look at somebody like Adrian Broner and Javante Davis... And not necessarily, it doesn't have to just be a father, or it has to be maybe a father figure who's there to say that ain't it. Because nobody told Adrian Broner no, and I'll look at him. Yeah, you at know? all. I, I worry about that just a little bit with Shakur, but because Andre Ward is there, he's good. Andre helps a ton. Yeah, he's good, <laughs> Andre. but Andre, Andre ain't going to play yeah. that bullshit. No. But I, I have my concerns when it comes to boxing with guys like Javante. Cause they, you know, you yoking up a girl, and on everybody sees it at a boxing, I mean, at a basketball gym, and everybody yeah. sees it. It's like, yo, man, what are you gonna do as your profile continues to grow? You're going to ruin your career, not another fighter. You, yep. you. So we'll see. And he needs someone around him. That that's the biggest role that those dads play. That you mentioned is they're not yes men. Mm-mm. They will shoot it straight. Yep. And. That there's something to that. Um, I've been around Theofimo's dad, who's, a, you know, louder, the better for him. Like, he's one of the, the most prominent in terms of trash-talking fathers in the corners. Listen, dude. I'm but Theofimo is incredibly well-adjusted, considering. Uh, listen, there is one fight that I would love to see just for the dads. Oh, God. You know what, you know what I'm saying? going to say, right? Theofimo versus Danny? Yes! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yes. the dads might fight each other. They will let fight it be each on other. the undercard. Dog. Let it be on the undercard. They'll throw on the gloves. There's no. <laughs> it's so weird because Angel and Danny. It's like you think that Angel was the fighter because Danny don't really say shit. No, chill, just calm. Theo females the same way. Chill, like yo. Theo females like yo. Leave me alone. Let me be with my wife. Let us chill. I don't got to do none of the flashy shit. If, I, if you put the camera on me, I'll talk my shit. But outside of that, no trouble. I just want to chill, be with my wife, hang out, travel, and train. But his dad will pop shit? All the time. Oh, I got, like, my favorite quote, and I'll run it back when he's about to fight Loma on the page, is, like, his dad's talking all the shit about, like, how he was going to win the title at uh, his 14th fight and then beat Loma in his 15th fight. And then the interview cuts, like, quick cuts, to Theofimo and Theofimo's just like rubbing his head and he's like fuck it that's my dad he talks shit and I back him up and I was just like yo that's so real he's like yo that I know who he is and he's gonna pop this shit it's my job to make sure that he's right yeah and I felt that it's a different type of motivation from a father but it's it's still the same thing where like Danny to a point is also well adjusted considering his dad's nuts Oh, Angel. Angel has one of the best Instagrams. If you guys don't follow Angel on Instagram, you are missing out. He is wild, yo. I love it. So, it's hilarious, man. It's hilarious. Boxing Dads is incredible. And um, shout out to Raging Babe, who was doing like a boxing mom show. Yeah. 
um, before the Rona hit. Hopefully she brings that back. But the families just surrounding these boxers are incredible. Um, I spent some time with Bud Crawford's mom. Oh, God. Oh, you want, you want to talk about confidence. Like, Terrence Crawford, he's a shit talker, right? Like, Bud, Bud is shit talker. He's confident. He hates losing at anything. That's what makes Bud great. Because he's not, like, going to out-athlete someone. But his willpower is incredible. That's how he got to where he is. His mom takes that to level 10. Like, I never got to wonder, like, yo, where did he get this crazy drive from? His mom, you could put him in there tomorrow with Canelo, and his mom's like, so? <laughs> My baby going to knock him out. Like, she unwavering confidence, which is crazy. So, uh, yeah, we went on to a tangent. But yeah. the parents in boxing are amazing. Um, talking about another young fighter, since we're on that track, Roley from the <laughs> Mayweather camp gets his first title uh. shot. This past week on the Showtime card. Competitive fight. I'm watching this fight, and I'm like, yo, I, I think he's losing. He's and they losing. Put out, they, they put, like, a lot of promo behind him this week. Leonard talked him up. Floyd did a whole rollout on his social media pages, pumping him up. And I like the kid. I see some work in the gym. We've both been around Mayweather's gym. But I've seen him in the gym. Puts in good work. Fast hands. And I'm watching this fight, and I see a guy in rounds one, two, and three where you're like, oh, I can see he's been working with Floyd. Oh, I can see he's been working with this person in the gym. Oh, his technique is getting a little better. And then four, five, and six, I'm like, something's not the same. I think he might be, like, gassed out. No, he looks energetic. Something's different. And then the second half of the fight, you're like, yo, I think he's getting his ass whooped. <laughs> he lost all fundamentals oh, from yeah. round one through, I'd say, like, nine. You could just see the fundamentals draining. Like, there was a meter on top. His fundamentals just went completely away. He was just slugging it and getting countered and two-pieced the entire fight. And then someone gave him a 118-110 card. Yo, that scorecard, like, I was, there was so many fights. So I was, like, in and out on that fight. And I remember watching the beginning of the fight and going, oh, this seems pretty good. I'm going to come back to it. Now we got to, like, the sixth round, and I was like, no, it's not. This is not a good fight. What the hell is going on? <laughs> like, Roley's not doing – like, this is – wow. Like, he's not even setting his feet. He's just throwing punches. And then I, like, looked back again, and I was like, oh, the fight – like, the, the championship rounds, I guess. And I was like, uh, yeah, he lost. And I kind of tuned out. It wasn't until, like, because I had the mute on that particular screen. I went back to my other screens. I think the UFC screens. I was editing two live blogs. And I looked on my Twitter account, and I was like, he fucking won? Like, who, who did Unanimously. this? Unanimously. <laughs> How did this happen? He's going to lose bad soon. But they're, yeah. they're going to be very careful matching him up moving forward because they know what they saw. LRB and them, they know exactly what they saw, and they're like, oh, shit. Well, WBA wants to run it back. Of course So Marinez can yeah. get the, the rematch. That's, that's tough. I mean, when Mayweather promotions people, when Gervonta is on Twitter... Laughing. <laughs> I think his exact tweet was, "This motherfucker Roly swack." Like, <laughs> like yo, like but everyone, everyone thought he stole it. Every, yeah. Everybody Showtime people, man. Like it didn't matter where they were signed to. They're like, "Nah, get the fuck out of here." Oscar De La Hoya. It it was so big of a robbery that it made De La Hoya and Ryan Garcia talk to each other on Twitter. 
and agree. Yeah, they were friends. That was crazy. Friendly. It mended their relationship. That's how big of a robbery it was. This was bad, man. Yo, and I mean, listen, I'm not trying to shit on the kid. It's his first title. He has talent, but that wasn't it. No. He might have learned more from the loss. This is an excuse to continue doing bad habits. Like, man, yes, exactly. When you win a gift decision, there's two things that happen. Either your ego gets in the way and you go, fuck it, I won. I don't care what they say. Or you go, yeah, guys, behind closed doors, I fucking lost that fight. We need to fix some shit. Yep. And I don't know who really is. I don't know him that well. I've seen him in the gym a few times. I don't know which side he's going to take on this. But I will tell you this. I will tell you this quote right after the fight. This is what he said. I don't think I had a bad performance. I thought I won the fight, regardless of everything. I'm the world champion now. I'm happy. He came out a little bit tougher and slicker than what I thought, but all he did was move around the entire fight. He didn't even try to engage. Now, if you go to Getty and look up Rolando Romero, every other picture is him getting his face hit or his neck snapped back. Yeah. At what point did his man not engage? I don't think he understands exactly what happened during this fight. And Shakur pointed it out. He was like, or it might have been Ryan Garcia. Um, one of the two, they were like, yo, his corner's been lying to him this entire fight. Yeah. They did him no, he, they told him, oh, you're doing great. The guy's not even touching you. And he believed it when that wasn't what was happening. The judges saw it that way. But I, I don't know how. I don't know how. That That was... Ooh, I don't even know what to call that, man. It was so bad. I just, like, how the Highway fuck? robbery. <laughs> yeah, it's just, man. I mean, they should run it back, but if I was him, if I was his team, I'd be like, no thanks. <laughs> no. Anything we can do to get away from that rematch, because he ain't ready. He ain't ready. At all. And at that division, when, yeah. when you step in at 135, yo, there's no easy ones. If you go up, there's no easy ones. Because you, who are you fighting? Ryan Garcia takes your head off. Nah, he ain't ready for that. Yeah, like, Devin puts a beating on you. And you really can't go Gervonta Theofimo. Like, I don't know where he goes. He's in a, a weird sandwich. Yeah, man. Where he might not even be good enough to beat the people under him. So it's tough to protect. Now that he got the belt, every fight is 12 rounds. There's no hiding him with eight rounders. Nah, good luck to him. Yeah, now you're learning on the job, so that that's gonna be tough. Um, that was pretty much showtime. The main event there though was Benavidez. Comes out, wins late. You saw the usual combinations, letting the hands go. To me, we didn't even talk about this last week because he missed weight the next day. Yep. He missed weight going into this fight, so he loses his belt on the scales, which we'll see if they allow him to immediately fight to regain it. Like we saw with Gervonta not too long ago. Or if they try to punish him and put two other people in there to get it. It'd be some shit if Caleb Plant just snaked it. Yeah, that would suck. I mean, it would suck. <laughs> I mean, not for Caleb Plant. No. But <laughs> Become a unified champion in a easy, easy way. And then make Benavidez be the B-side and take shit money. Yeah, I mean, look, man. I speak highly of David Benavidez's skill set. Yeah, I think the kid is remarkable, talent-wise. Um, some people are like, "You think it's a 50-50 fight?" Yes, I do. Like, I, I don't think you guys understand. Like, you watched, like anybody watched the fight last night. Watched David Benavidez just tee off on a guy for the entirety of the fight, and then yeah. as as it got good to him, 
he really just started letting his hands go, and there was nothing he could do to stop because he doesn't throw combinations the same way ever. They come from all different angles, and he's got a, an amazing chin. He's a tough fighter. What's going to beat David Benavidez is the shit outside the ring. That's always going to be a problem, and it's going to linger, and I don't know how much longer it's going to linger until he fixes it. Him missing weight could be due to coronavirus. He blamed it on training. He blamed it on those things, but other guys make weight, man. Every Yeah, other guys have the same problem. Yeah, they made weight. You can't, like, that can't be your excuse. It can't, especially when you just got, you were booted for cocaine. Like, you got to figure this shit out because the talent is there. But you can't play no games, especially, like, right now, yeah, sure, you want to play some games, you want to beat up on Jaylee on Love, cool, that's not a threat. You want to beat up on Angulo last night and have his corners like, fuck this, he's taking too much punishment. Cool, this makes sense. But you can't play this game with Caleb Plant. No. You can't. You can't play this game with any of these guys at 68. You can't. Any of these too many th- champions at 68. And you damn sure can't be lazy or eat yourself out at 68. Because you go up to 75, and that's a whole different world. Yeah. Don't, you're not beating a better be at 175. No, nah, man. So you gotta. he's got to take care of business before he gets in the boxing ring. And that's going to be my concern with him for a while. Because when I've talked to him in the past, he seemed like, you know, got my life together, blah, blah, blah. Uh, he obviously wanted to do better when his brother got shot before the Terrence Crawford fight. A lot of people forget about Jose Benavidez because Jose used to be the guy too. Yep. They've got a lot of shit going on in their lives, and they need to figure it out because, yeah, the talent is there. Yeah, this guy could be a bad dude at 68, and if he ever goes to 75, which is obvious, he's going to get there at some point. But you gotta, you got to stay off the bullshit. You can't miss weight as a champion. Losing your, like I can't remember another fighter who's lost the same title twice on the scale. Well, on scale and out of the ring shit. Suspension. Yeah. I can't uh, think of and, and he's Not under, by 23. Yeah, not that's what I'm saying. He's under 25 and it's happened to him twice already? This guy could potentially be the first undefeated three-time champion. How the fuck does that happen? <laughs> he will be. If they allow him to fight for it, he will be. Uh, undefeated three-time champion? Like, we make jokes like John Cena and Ric Flair. It's like, well, you had to lose it 16 times and win it 17. This yep. dude has not been beat in a boxing match. And he's about to be a three-time champion of the same belt. It's ridiculous. Caleb Plant needs to snake that belt. <laughs> like, if, if you're his team, you got to make it happen. Oh, man, they got to figure something I out. Don't, I don't know who's the number one contender, but get him on the phone ASAP. You say, yo, I'll fight him tomorrow for that vacant belt. And then all, all the chips are in your court. And not just with Benavidez, with the division at that point. Yeah. Because now you hold two, and everyone wants to unify or be undisputed. So it's 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 a good poker chip to have. We'll see if, you know, Benavidez and Plant, you know, finally meet probably not happening next like many thought no. it would. Mm-mm. But in the coming years, Caleb Plant was hilarious just trolling on t- social media with that shit. He had the fake tears. He was funny. <laughs> so he was letting Benavidez have it. Um the other one, moving over to the zone, which we touched on a little bit earlier, Madrimov tested to me he came out slow yeah he did sluggish i don't know if that's due to the opponent again due to how stuff is just very different training wise and everything during uh the coronavirus and, and covid and you know having to quarantine and gyms being closed which for a fighter like that it, it does matter he's regimented yeah so when that gets thrown off that that does matter but i say around sixth seventh round a whole different gear kicked in. 
Because for a second, I thought he was hurt in like the fifth. Yeah, he, he took that round off. He looked he looked tired. He looked like he was completely yeah, gassed out. It was weird. But they both looked gassed at a point. And then um, once his face hit like a second gear, and I was like, oh, what the fuck? I was like, oh, Madrimal's in trouble. And then Madrimal throws a right hand from his boots. Or excuse me, a left hand from the boots that connects. And I was like, oh, shit, the fight is over. I'm here. I got the three TVs going. I throw the remotes by mistake. They're in the air and shit. I'm going crazy. I see the group chat lighting up. I'm looking. And since uh, mine, I got fire sticks everywhere and smart TVs, I'm a little bit behind. So I look, and your question is, it's not a knockdown? I was like, yo, what the fuck just happened? And then I look, I was like, yo, they ruled it a a slip or a push? You got to be kidding me. That was right on the jaw. I don't know how you missed that. Man. He was out, too. Out. Dude, there are so many things that happened here. So, one, Eric Walker was a guy who was on the Contender Series. He spent some time in prison, locked up. Did the Bernard Hopkins. Came out, um, and he looked sharp in this fight. Like, I was like, he's a good opponent, right? Like, he's a good opponent for Majumov. And Majumov didn't get to do his dancing. Like, he didn't, the footwork. Like, all that shit was nullified. He wasn't, Walker wasn't biting on the feints. Like, he was in a fight. And then as the fight progressed, Majumov made those adjustments. And when he uncorked that left hand, the fight was over. The referee said he pushed him down with his shoulder. The shoulder never came in contact with Walker. And he was dead to the world, right? Like, he didn't know where he was at. Now, here's my issue, the bigger issue that happened here. Yes, should have absolutely been a knockout, right? Absolutely. Should have at least looked at a replay. I don't, I don't know if the Tulsa Commission's rules were there. So I, I'm not entirely sure. But they should have figured out something because there was no shoulder involved. That was a straight punch that put him down. They gave him five minutes. Walker was done, right? Mm-hmm. We've just spent the last year mourning three fighters who died in the boxing ring. Specifically, we think about Patrick Day. and But there's so many others recently. When Walker gets up and goes to his corner, he's like holding himself up by the ropes. Because he's, he's cooked. All this time is passing. And people are like, oh, he's getting time to recover. And I'm like, yo, stop the fight. There's no way this man can continue fighting because all you're doing now is you're sending him to his demise because what's Matrimal supposed to do? Not hit him. He was done. He got all that time to recover. He clearly was concussed clearly because the way he hit the canvas after that left that left from the goddamn moon, he was done. I can't believe they let that fight go on. And I know a lot of people blame the corner and I do too. The corner gets no break for me from this. But as the referee, the fuck are you doing? You're watching this man, because now he's just getting beat up for another, what, four or five rounds? Yeah. I mean, it was one-way traffic after that. So why why in the world would nobody stop this fight? Walker had no shot at winning after this. After that knockdown, he was done. His goose was cooked. His corner kept trotting him back out there. And the referee would say, yeah, I see you're taking a lot of punch, but we'll do something about it. I can't. We can't have another <laughs> boxer dying in the boxing ring. We just can't yeah. have it. That was wasn't a, a good weekend. No. It wasn't a good weekend for refs. Oh no, UFC or boxing. Yeah, this that was, but that was bad. Madrimal, I think he's the good. Somebody was like, "Is eh, not really the goods." I was like, "No, I'm sorry, he's the goods. He's still the goods." Oh yeah. No, that's like when Teofimo went, and uh, he had like turmoil in the family, and then he faced the, the super tall kid. Super super tall. Oh god, I can't. Nishioka. What oh, is his name? His, but gave yeah, him hell. Uh, but I, but I was like, yo, gave him hell, and I was like, oh shit. And then people were like, oh, Teofimo's a fraud, and all. I'm like, chill. 
chill. These things happen. Yeah, it was a bad style matchup for Tia Fimo. That dude was like 6'2". Like everything yeah. everything was was going to be tough about that fight. Sometimes you are matched up with tough opponents. Eric Walker was a tough, slick opponent who wasn't going for the bullshit. Match him off his white people out in under six rounds because they bite on a feint. He'd use that footwork, get around, throw from an odd angle, and a punch they never saw coming. Walker wasn't dealing with none of that shit. But he like they needed to save that man so he could fight another day. That was a travesty. Yeah. Man, I don't know. I don't even know how he continued after that punch. Now I know. He was in prison. Dude. <laughs> he's, he's been through some shit. I'm pretty sure. Bad. I'm pretty sure he doesn't remember anything after the sixth round. Oh, I don't know how he could. No. That shit almost put him through the ropes. Yeah. That's bad. He almost went down the block, around the corner, and got some barbecue. That's how crazy that punch was. Yeah. Man, that shit was crazy. And then the main event, just as good. We have Cecilia Breckis versus uh, Jessica McCaskill. I love that the women are headlining. Great to put a spotlight on them. This is a big fight. And then you look at it. And it's going along, and you're like, yo, they, they are both really good. And to me, this fight was so good that it didn't make me want three-minute rounds. Oh, it made me want three-minute rounds. I mean, I would have loved it. I would have loved the extra time. But I think they they packed a lot into a little. I would have loved this to go 12 three-minute rounds. It would have been even better. I, I think maybe Cecilia would have had a better chance. She would have. Uh, I mean, listen. So a couple things happen. One, Jessica McCaskill beats Cecilia Breakers, becomes now a two-division unified champion, and she's undisputed now as a welterweight. And she's small. She's a small welterweight. She's an undisputed champion. But here's, here's all the things that happen, and then we'll get to the fight itself. McCaskill just turned over the apple cart because the, the idea here was to have Breakers fight either Katie Taylor. Well, Katie Taylor was the fight to make. Or Amanda Serrano. Amanda Serrano couldn't negotiate, couldn't get some money. They ended up going with Delphine Pursun, who a lot of people thought Delphine Pursun would be K. Taylor the first time. We're, we're almost getting to the point where everything's going to get fucked up. Because now McCaskill, good for her, undisputed champion. I need to text her. I interviewed her, and I told her, I was like, if you win, I'm texting you on Sunday to see if you're going to work on Monday. Because she told me that's what she was going to do. I don't believe her. <laughs> no I way. do not believe no her. Way. I have to, I'm going to text her after we're done with this, this show. But now, McCaskill faces the winner of Pursun and Katie Taylor. And if Pursun and, and McCaskill went, like, what the fuck just happened? Like, everything got messed up, right? Here's the other thing that happens. Breakus, a woman who's 38 years old but was 36-0, had never lost a round on a single scorecard in 36 fights. Didn't win a single scorecard against McCaskill. For the record, I had Breakus winning the fight. Six to four. Six rounds to four. I, that's how I had it. But it, the rounds were so close that I, I was like, dude, anybody could have won this round. It's a sprint. Every round's a sprint. I don't know. But the other problem now is Clarissa Shields looking at this fight and going, fuck, there goes another opponent. Yep. Because, I mean, I, even though I still think it's a big fight. Dude, McCaskill is not coming up to fight Clarissa Shields. Clarissa Shields no. is huge. Yeah, no, nah, Clarissa is not fighting McCaskill. But, th- but that goes to say McCaskill, now, if Taylor wins... Which isn't a given. No. If Taylor loses, then Eddie's fucking banging his head against the wall. Because this went the exact opposite of how he wanted. Yeah. But if Taylor wins, then we get them to run it back. Yeah. 
and Taylor won the first one pretty handily. It was close. Like, the scores were wide. I watched that fight. It, the scores were wide. It was closer than that. But, yeah, Katie Taylor won that fight. Yeah, so now, I mean, Katie Taylor with all the belts now becomes very interesting. It's just who does she fight? For Clarissa. But, no, she will never fight Clarissa. Katie She'll fight Serrano after yeah. that, obviously. But still, Serrano will fight Clarissa. I'm, so, I'm, I'm just like, saying, like, Clarissa's in but, a position where she had, like, there's nobody for her to fight. Breakus was the mm. one that she needed to fight, and Breakus was really against going above 47. And you look at Clarissa, and she's easily 60, right? She says yeah. she can get to 47. I don't know. The older nah, you get... 54 was... Yeah, that's I it. I mean, she's 24 years old, so she's not old. 20, I'm not even sure if she turned 24 yet. So she's young. She's young, but man, the older you get, the harder it is to drop that weight. Yeah, 47 is, is an ask. And to keep... The power she has, the skill she has, and drop that low is tough. Yeah, I mean, she might have to do it, be forced to do it, but man, McCaskill, all the credit in the world to her. She went up. She's a two-division champion now. Like, if pound-for-pound women's things was something that was more mainstream, like nobody really talks about this, that shit is a mess right now. Yeah, wait for it. Who's the best fighter in the world? Clarissa Shields is what a lot of people think, but a lot of people who've been following women's boxing was like, no, it's Breakus. Like, she's... She's 36 and 0. You got to give her a credit. But now she just lost. So it's like, is McCaskill above Breakus? Yeah. But McCaskill lost to Katie Taylor, though. Man, this, yeah. it, it, this, there's a lot going on. But And then you got Amanda Serrano hanging around. Seven division champion, six division champion. Yes, something crazy. <laughs> Women's boxing's in a good spot. I just I feel for Clarissa Shields. She's sitting there going, well, like, she's going, I need to call Layla Ali. Shit, who's going to fight me? Yeah. Michaela Mayer wants. Wants in on that because uh, Michaela's at at thirty five. No, not Clarissa. Oh, okay. Um, no, but she's at thirty five, yeah. and she's looking like yo. She was watching the fights last night, and uh, she was like, "Yo, I could beat McCaskill easy." Okay. She was like, "I'll jump up tomorrow to fight her," because <laughs> I guess McCaskill's small for forty seven. She is. She's small. Like, look at her. And so you you look at that, and I mean, Michaela Mayer's good too. There's so much talent. Oh, what was uh the chick who just landed the sickest KO? But they had her in there against like somebody's mom. Oh, Sanisha Estrada, but she's Estrada. Estrada's like she's one hundred and twelve pounds. One twenty five, right? No, she's twelve. She's tiny. One hundred and twelve. Yeah, it's twelve, fifteen, and eighteen. That's where she can fight at. She's oh my tiny. God. I thought she was twenty five. She's tiny, and she has to eat to get there. <laughs> Yo, that's crazy. She got dynamite in the hands yeah. of 112. Well, I mean, she was fighting the can, but yeah. Regardless, the way she threw that combo, yeah. she she threw that from the from the knees. <laughs> then that shit's crazy. Women's boxing is just great right now. So um, definitely have to shine a light on that. I will say, stay tuned. We we're trying to make something happen. Something's brewing. So. I'm very excited about that and women's boxing and the whole weekend. I thought it was a great weekend for boxing. We're going to take a quick break and talk UFC because there's plenty to talk there with what just happened at UFC 252, a night of fights. I would like to say a night of great fights, but that might be up in the air. You guys stay tuned. We'll be right back. (laughs) 
All right, we'll get back to the show in a second. But first, Sunday, Sunday, Sundays are coming back in the NFL with NFL Sunday ticket.tv you can stream every live out of market nfl game every sunday afternoon on your favorite devices plus red zone and direct tv fantasy zone channels never miss your favorite teams and favorite players no matter where you live nfl sunday ticket.tv is your key to the most glorious sundays ever use the promo code blue wire at checkout to get 15 percent off your subscription visit nfl sunday ticket.tv and use promo code blue wire All right, we are back. It is the home stretch, and we are talking MMA, more specifically talking about the UFC and UFC 252, which just happened over this past weekend. <sighs> Dre, it looked, it looked good on paper for the main card, right? And I was like, okay, we got a nice little main card. Overall, I really thought it disappointed. Uh, I mean, yeah, it wasn't... It wasn't like it was some weird circumstances. Yeah, it wasn't. Like I, it's it's not the fighters' faults. Yeah, it's not like they all wanted or tried to go to decisions or anything. No. Nah. But some shit happened that made it kind of weird. So first, we'll talk about John Dodson showing up and doing nothing. Dude, he's gun shy. Told you he's had it. Something's wrong. Something's wrong. He got to drop the weight, yo. It's not I even don't the care. It's meant. This is you mental. Got, this is one hundred percent mental. DJ robbed him of his soul? He Shang Tsung him? He probably I think so. Like something happened because remember when Dodson arrived on the scene, like he knocked out TJ Dillashaw. The magic man. Like, he was everywhere. Like hands he had bricks for hands, fast as hell. You couldn't take him down. Like he was easily the number one and number two, the fastest fighter in the division. Easy. Maybe the entire UFC. But yeah. now it's like he's completely gun shot. And Visibility didn't he just was like fuck this like he had so much fun beating up on John Dotson just like tossing him around I don't know who John Dotson is it's over this drop the weight it won't matter if you don't let your hands go yeah Marab was having a blast like Marab was in his corner just like that's easy like I was like yo listen to this <laughs> smiling guy. after the fight he threw the headdress back on he just didn't care and, and do we both pick Dotson I can't remember I definitely did he got wiped I feel terrible and Marab is going to be a problem at Bantamweight. He's, if he continues fighting like this, the way he's just, you know, just out wrestling guys, like he's on a nice little, what is it, five fight winning streak? Yeah, and he was able to outstrike Dotson. Yeah. Granted, Dotson didn't try too much to, to throw hands. I don't, I don't know what the game plan is for Dotson in a fight anymore. Like, when I watch him fight, I go back to the Jimmy Rivera fight, I'm like, well, what's, what's the plan here? I don't think there is one. Rob is on a five-fight winning streak. Last loss was to Ricky Simon. Oh, Ricky Simon. Yeah, okay. That makes sense. Okay, I remember there was a submission. So I, yeah, Marab at has, the buzzer, by the way. Yeah. He might have won that fight. Yeah, Marab has been dominant these past few fights. But this the Dodson performance is impressive. I think he could be a problem. But I put more of the blame on John Dodson because something mental is going on where this man is not fighting up to his capability. Yeah, very weird. I can't call it he needs a sports psychologist yeah he needs to recapture something like when you don't even try to let the hands go that's when you got a problem yep agreed so um next fight herbert burns versus daniel pineda this is where you were right and i was wrong yeah i had a feeling this was gonna end like this i i don't know another weird fight because i i think burns was just dominated from the jump 
Yeah. He just he didn't seem to have it this night. No. The catch weight forty five. I don't I can't I don't know what to blame it on, but the elbows came down and it was a wrap. So whichever. I mean Yeah, I mean significant strikes was ten for Burns, fifty seven for Pineda. Yeah, this is I mean, like, I didn't think it was going to be like this, but I kind of picked – I had a feeling Pinedo was going to win this fight. By yeah, that's Pineda. wild. And that was in dominant fashion. Then we go to the next fight, JDS versus Rosenstruck. And bump, you know, super buff, different body, mustached JDS didn't help him because he got rocked Dude. and slumped on the cage. So – the thing about Rosenstruck is what I've noticed now is, yeah, okay, like everybody's going to lose to Francis Ngannou. Like if you rush Francis Ngannou, you're going to lose. That's yeah. just what's going to happen. So this fight, he was a little bit more patient, picked the spots, really didn't do a lot in the first round. Waited for JDS to kind of open up, get a little bit more comfortable, like ease up on the guard a bit, and then he just let his hands go and put him away. But this division... I don't want to say there's like a huge gap. It's not a Valentina Shevchenko gap. That's what we're going to call that gap. That's the Shevchenko yeah. gap. That shit is absurd. Like nobody's touching her. But it's a pretty significant gap in skill after Steep A and DC, and now that DC's probably gone. I don't know skill wise, because even in Ghana, as raw as he is, it's like with all the raw power, he's still raw as an MMA fighter. And Rosenstruck is a raw power, like the striking's there, but. What happens when Stipe puts him on his back? And clearly Stipe can take a punch. So I don't oh, yeah. I don't know who's who's going to be a problem for Stipe at this juncture. We'll talk about it in a little bit. Because even though I think Ngannou is going to be better if they have another fight, I can't... Skill-wise, it's different levels of this shit. It's just completely different levels. And Rosenstruck and JDS, yeah, good fight on paper. Rosenstruck knocked him out. But... JDS hasn't really been the same guy since the Kane fights, to be honest. He he had a little run after that. I mean, but he, he had a two lose two. That's what, but he had a cool run. But remember when he came yeah. into the fight with Kane, and then Kane turned himself and got hurt, and JDS became champion. Yep. And then Kane mugged him for what was that four rounds and fucking mauled him. Yep. I'm gonna talk about Kane in a minute too. When we get and then to what C level Kane? Yeah, that just like. <laughs> Kane just was, he beat the fight out of JDS. JDS is still a very good fighter, but I don't know how much stock to put in Rosenstruck winning. Good stoppage, though. Listen, I'm, I'm here for a possible matchup of big men bumping meat and Rosenstruck, Black Beast. Yeah, I'm here for it. If Black Beast can't, if he can't get his hands on Greg Hardy, yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Greg Hardy's option number one. Yeah. But if he can't do that, then yeah, I think those two got a date. Yeah. They just fought a week apart. Let's do it. Um, in the co-main, the Sugar Show, Sean O'Malley, with the the hair, which may or may not have been a poke at Marlon Vera, or he could have been looking like Takashi, who he has a painting of. So, I don't know the inspiration, but Sugar Show came in. They gave him the co-main. It was like, okay, showcase fight. And I'd say two minutes into the fight, his ankle went. And it was not the same after that. And Vera took advantage quick. Because this is the second time we've seen a lower body injury to O'Malley. And the last time his opponent was dumb and didn't make him stand back up. Went to the ground and O'Malley was able to, you know, leg it out and win. This time, Vera was not having any of that. 
No, and if you actually went back and watched the fight again, the Marlon Vera calf kicks had something to do with this. You think it was the kick? A lot of people, I saw that, and they said the kick could have hit the nerve and gave him dead foot. Yeah. I think it had something to do with it. So, at first, it was like a freak injury, but maybe not. Maybe Marlon Vera, maybe there's something going on with O'Malley, injury, like with his health and that leg, that maybe yeah. will never be right. And now it's going to be a target. Doesn't matter when yeah. O'Malley comes back. If you're a fighter, you're looking at that like I'm taking that leg out. That's my job. Yep. So yeah, you got to do it. You got to attack his leg because it seems both like he maybe he needs to just build strength down there. I don't know, but like this, the fluidity and everything. Listen, sometimes people just got brittle ass bones and like joints. Like sometimes there ain't shit you can do. It, it sucks because O'Malley's going to be on the shelf again. And how how old's O'Malley? Twenty one. 25. No, 25. 25. Yeah, older than that. So you're 25. You've already lost, uh, what, 18 months from the last injury? Yeah, one yeah. fight. Oh, and suspension. Yeah, and the suspension. Yeah. Now you come back and you get injured again. You get a co-main event, which means the UFC really wants to push you to the moon. Now you get injured again. Now they, now you're damaged because it's the same injury. It's not like it's in a different place. It's the same injury. Yeah. I don't know what happens to O'Malley now. I think, again, he's 25. He has plenty of time to still become what he wants to become. I mean, wins and losses don't kill you in this sport. No, I, He's not going to lose the personality. You run three off in a row, you're right back. But, you're, you're good. Like, look at Game Bread. Yeah, but here's the problem. Game Bread's different, right? Game Bread has lost a ton of split decisions, right? The problem with O'Malley that I'm concerned with is mentally when you start stepping in that cage and now you're thinking about this leg when you're fighting. Ah, uh, that's tough. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? It's like it's like it's the you know phantom injuries, and it's just like ah, I think it's there. Like you remember when Paul George broke his leg, and everybody was like, "Shit, he ain't gonna be the same again." But he came yep. back; he was stronger than ever. But the problem is, imagine if Paul George breaks the same leg the same way again. Yep. Now for the rest of your career, you think about every time you touch the basketball court, there's a po- probability I'm gonna injure this shit again. I don't know, and that's not even that's not even a contact sport. Now you're fighting guys, especially being O'Malley with all this praise. Nobody's going to want you to fight a bunch of cans. Everybody's going to want you to fight top 15 guys. And the first top 15 guys you fight are all going to target your leg. Can he get past that part mentally to become a complete fighter? I don't know. It's like Derrick Rose. Yeah. Like when when the knees just kept giving up on him. It's it's in your head at a certain point. Even if it's reinforced, it doesn't matter. Your head says, they told me this last time I was good. Yep. So I don't know, man. I hate this for O'Malley. This kid had a ton of promise. He, he, but again, it's going to slow him down. We'll see. We'll see. Yeah, I mean, it It could be a setback for a major comeback. I, I love when the O goes, especially for these young fighters. Take that shit away quick, like Max Holloway. Yeah. Losing to Connor was one of the best things for him. Yeah. Take that shit away, go, be calm. He ran off a ton of fights after that. Yeah, I just hopefully he can recover from the same damn injury. The injury is the key, not the loss. The injury hurts. Yeah. Um, main event, we are here. Steve Miocic versus Daniel Cormier. So obviously by now people know Steve Miocic is still UFC heavyweight champion. He won, but into the nitty gritty of the fight, I thought Cormier won the first round. I think only one judge gave it to him. Which is wild. Maybe, yeah, crazy. So, Cormier, I give the first round. Stipe, the second. I thought we were, we were cruising. The end of the second really made a difference because 
with 15 seconds left, and Cormier's just scaling the cage, back against the cage, which is dumb for him, and both hands down, trying to, like, shimmy across the state cage, and that's when Stipe catches him and almost turns off the light, and Cormier survives barely, and that changed the complexion of the fight. And then you go on, and Cormier then is trying to survive in the third round, which he does a great job of. And then at the end of the third, he takes this eye poke, and he's blind for the rest of the fight. Ridiculous. Like, but that was a bigger problem. I, I would say, oh, I feel bad for Cormier. I don't. Because he tried wrestling in the first, it worked, and never went back to it. And he said, well, Stipe stopped overreaching, and he didn't overextend himself, so it wasn't open. You know what? Shit's always open for Habib. It's always open for Cormier. You can't tell me when he was fighting Dan Henderson and the H-bomb was always on deck. That he was like, oh, maybe I can't wrestle him. He wrestled everyone for a period of time. He just stopped doing it. So I don't... It was a bad game plan by him after the first round, and I don't know why it changed. Uh, maybe Father Time is undefeated, and he doesn't have the energy to wrestle like he once did. I think... So, yes, one... The officiating, I mean, the ref got her missing the eye poke. Sucks. There's nothing really guy yeah. can do about it. I mean, it's hard to see something like that. Bad angle, whatever. We'll talk about the eye poke in a second. That, yes, did that affect the fight? Absolutely. But the knockdown in the second round changed everything. Because Cormier was cruising in that round. Letting yeah. his hands go a little bit more. And I said this on Twitter, and people didn't understand. A few people didn't understand what I was saying. I was like, Cormier is an excellent hand fighter. Like, what he does is he moves his hands a lot and tries to grab you. By the wrist, and then he pops one off. Like, he's really good at that shit. Like, he's either going to clinch with you, or he moves his hands enough to try to show you that something is going to happen if you don't try to stop my hands from moving. And he did it, and that's where, like, even in the early Miocic fights, where he poked him in the eye, shit happens when you move your fingers around like that. But then he got clipped, and all that shit went out the window. Like, everything that he thought about doing, now he was on the defensive. He was no longer on the offensive for any part of this fight. Everything yep. that was done from this point on was to Stipe's game plan, which was land strikes from the outside, don't get caught with that right hand, you know it's coming, and if you get in a clinch, press him against the cage, close to us, so we can tell you what to do. Yep. And that's exactly what Stipe did. Perfect game plan. DC was just completely neutralized. The eye poke, it sucks, but I thought... And DC landed a couple of those right hands. He did, but he just, Stipe knew later in the fight, but there was nothing nothing left on Well, not even that. Stipe knew they were coming. It's the punches that you don't see that are the ones that kill you. And when Miocic yep. got knocked out in the first fight, he didn't see that punch coming. He had no idea that punch was coming that quick out of the clinch. True. This fight and the last fight, he knew what was coming. And if you prepare yourself for that right hand, because to be honest, DC doesn't really have much else aside from that right hand that he puts power on. Yep. So... That's all Stipe had to really look for. Because if DC wasn't going to deploy his his wrestling, which is bizarre because it got him victories over Derek Lewis, Anthony Johnson, uh, Josh Barnett. Like, that wrestling is what got him to the dance. But Stipe had nothing to worry about. No. So And I don't I don't know why that's the game plan. I, I don't know either, right? Like, I just... I'm, I'm truly baffled... As to why there wasn't a lot more of DC leaning on Stipe to wear him down, to open up the strikes a little bit more. Like if you're not, if you can't get a takedown, because Miocic is a really good wrestler. If for some reason you can't get a takedown, but if you use your weight, because Stipe was very svelte, my man was slim in this fight. Oh, slim Stipe! If you're DC, you just lean on him. 
Like you wrestle him, you lean on him, you try to wear this guy down. Even if you're not doing anything in the guard after you take him down, you just put your body on this man because it's heavyweight fights. Fourth and fifth round, all yours. But if you don't set that shit up, you're going to lose. So It's what Stipe did in Ghana. Yeah. Just lean on him. You just, I don't got to do shit while I'm here. Just got to lean on I'm him. I'm not going to let you do what you want to do. Right? Like, I'm yep. not going to give you space to breathe. I'm just going to take all the fight out of you and frustrate the shit out of you. And that's what Stipe did. Great fight for him. It was a good fight. Stipe's the champ. Remains the champ. DC goes into retirement. It's over. Anybody thinks that DC's coming back? He's not. It's a wrap. I, no, I think this, yeah, this is this is it. This was the chance, you know. Maybe I think he would have stuck around if he won. Um, that second round was huge. Like you said, it changed everything. I think he was winning that round. He absolutely was winning that round. He looked good. Until he got dropped. Yep. So, and that was just lasting 20 more seconds. So, yeah, it went the wrong way for him. He still won the fourth in my mind with one eye. I agree. And it was probably 2-2 going into the fifth, and then Stipe smothered him. So, I thought it was a good fight. Stipe, great showing. Now comes the nitty-gritty. What is next? DC, bon voyage. You're going into retirement. Stipe, though, John Jones was talking a lot during that fight. And I've always thought Stipe was the heavyweight John Jones would be comfortable fighting. Especially if you get skinny Stipe. Yep. I think John Jones feels real comfortable in that realm. But... Francis Ngannou has run through everyone else. So you can't even justify giving him a busy fight because he's knocked out everyone two through seven, probably. Yeah, this is tough. I think I think Francis has shown enough improvement since. And again, knocking out a great wrestler on his way there. You know, so he's fought different styles, different styles of fighters, heavy hitters, wrestlers. He's done it all. I think you have to give Ngannou the fight. And John Jones either has to stay away or come back and and maybe run it back at light heavyweight for his title and be more impressive. Because his last fight, he wasn't impressive. He survived. Yeah. Uh, so Reyes might be up again against John, or John could just wait. But I, I think Ngannou gets the next shot. I, I, I agree. This is, I think, the uh, while the John Jones Stipe Miocic fight sounds very, very intriguing. I think John Jones has unfinished business with Dominic Reyes. No matter what any he thinks, even though he won that fight, a lot of people didn't think John won that fight. Well, not a lot. Yep. I say it's a good amount to the point where you feel like, kind of like the Katie Taylor, the Fiend Pursuit thing. You won the fight, but people, there's a, enough people that make you think that you lost that you feel like, yeah, I, should, I need to do better. This is a division that you're still the champion over, and you haven't defended that championship in quite some time. So yeah. defended against Dominic Reyes. Let Stipe and Ngannou fight because if Stipe beats Ngannou again, that's done. And now Stipe fighting a guy who has become like a human highlight reel on social media in Ngannou and beating him again and beating DC now makes that fight with John a lot bigger, oh, yeah. much more significant. Now, if Francis stops Stipe and John runs over Dominic Reyes, then you make do, then you pay them the money to do this fight, John versus Ngannou. Right. Which is crazy. Like, but I, I don't think there's any path to me that makes sense to put John against Stephen A. right now. I, I think John needs to defend the light heavyweight title. Because if he doesn't, we're, we're going to go almost a year. We're going to have to have an interim title fight. And nobody really wants this because that division is still kind of whack. Yeah, no. Nah, I mean, it'd be a fight between one guy who lost to John Jones and another yeah, guy. Yeah, it'd be like Tiago Santos and, and uh, Dominic Reyes. Dominic Reyes. But then nobody yeah. really wants to see that shit. 
Not at all. So that's the consolation prize. Yeah. It's the loser's bracket. No one no one cares about that. So that is true. What comes up now is with this win, is Stipe one the greatest heavyweight of all time? No. And two, where does he rank on the pound for pound list of all time MMA fighters? So I've conceded that now since I've watched more Fedor, I get the hype. I'm still not watching it in the moment, right? So my fandom isn't your fandom, isn't our boy Justin Ivey's fandom, isn't, I'd stretch this to say, 85% of MMA's fandom. Yeah. I didn't watch it in the time. I, I wasn't watching MMA like that. No, I mean, what the fuck? I'm not going to apologize for it. I was doing other shit, playing like college football or something. But now that I've gone back and watched it, I can say, I get the hype. That run was impeccable. And by the way, like pride fights are just fucking brutal, by the way. Oh, yeah. Soccer kicks. Now that I've... Go- oh, my God. Like, uh, I almost said Belfort, but not Belfort. Someone was just a fucking monster over there. It'll come to me. Um, who just beat Lil Nog? Um, Shogun. Shogun soccer Shogun. kicked everybody to hell. Oh, my God. I watch Shogun pride fights, and I, I'm not squeamish. You know, we do this shit all the time. Like, I'd be media row and black blood could splatter my way. I'd be like, oh, shit, that's cool. But Shogun and Pride was just filthy. Man. That was a whole different beast. Oh, God. Um, but, no, just thinking about Fedor, yeah, his run at heavyweight, and he wasn't the biggest. No. Uh, what really changed my mindset, and when I was watching his Pride things, because I also wasn't around, because it was before my time, before I was born, before my mother was born, is watching old Ali, like old Ali fights, right? So whether he won or lost, but you look at how different he moved from other heavyweights. How he was thin and smaller than the other heavyweights of his time. And how he was still able to impose his will and manipulate them. And that window of Ali is so great that people can consider him, of course with his outside the ring stuff, one of the greatest boxers of all time. It didn't matter that he lost in between then and then lost towards the end. Because that window of greatness was so great that it doesn't fucking matter. I feel like that's probably the case for Fedor, and I get it. That window was so great that, yeah, he lost a lot towards the end. All right, whatever. He lost, what, once during his run? Yeah, I mean, he lost by a a doctor stoppage due to cuts in a fight he was winning. Yeah, he lost once during his, his real big run. Ali lost. You know, the first time against Fedor? Cool. But that doesn't diminish how great they were during that time. So I'm okay saying Fedor is the best heavyweight ever. Even with Stipe's run. Even if Cormier would have won. I, okay, I get it. I can still give it to Fedor. But Stipe's making one hell of a case for number two. Oh, that, that I'll agree with. That I'll agree Which with. is tough because I also saw a lot of Crow Cop in that. Oh, God. Another fucking... Who was a fucking animal that, when I was watching that stuff. But it was kind of a one-trick pony. Yeah, I mean, that high kick... It's what hell of a one yeah, trick. So you knew it was coming, but it was like, but when was it coming and how fast Yo, he delivered he that shit? he grazed people, though. That's the ultimate death blow. Like, people talk, I talk about Connor's right hand. The kick didn't have to land clean. No. He was grazing people upon the top of the head. I saw him kick. I forgot who it was. He kicked him. The foot went over the head. He hit him with the heel, like with the Achilles on the top of the noggin. Oh, uh, which fight was that? Dead center in the front of his head and knocked him out clean. I was like, that's not possible. You got to kick someone in the chin, on the temple. Nope, kicked them back of the foot, top of the noggin. Gone. 
Yeah, he did that a lot. Crow Cop was a scary Oh, guy. my God. On the grays. And I'm, I still don't understand that. How did people not see that coming? Yeah, that, it's just the way he delivered it. Because he, he didn't I, wind I it up. I wish I was around MMA at that time. Man. I'm just fucking baffled by that still. I'm watching that at the crib like, yo, shout out to Fight Pass. But I'm just watching this shit because like I told you last time we had this convo, I've seen most of the WEC, almost all of it. And I've seen a lot of Strike Force. I, I told you, I was like, yo, I'm going to watch Pride. And I'm watching this shit and I'm like, yo, this is beyond belief. Yeah, it's the best shit ever. It feels like the Kumite. Yes. Like, Pride was... <laughs> it's so different. Like, when UFC went pop, right? When UFC went yeah. mainstream, it was very much the WWE getting the F out and, be, and like not being the WWF and being the WWE and then kind of, like, bringing on this talent from, like, WCW and elsewhere that was kind of over the hill and they, they were no longer who they were. That's kind of what Pride was to the UFC. Like, Pride was... And I'll be honest with you as well, because I didn't have the access, I got onto Pride like super late. It was it was towards the end of Pride when I started watching it because I went to the vid like I went and re- yes, I went to the video <laughs> store and rented all the Prides and all the UFCs and I just watched them. Like I think when I because like the dark period ruined UFC for me, so I didn't get back into it till like around UFC 80, 79, something like that. So I went back and watched all the other ones. All of them. And I did the same thing with Pride. And I was like, yo, this is like ECW. These soccer kicks? It's exactly what it's like. Like, this shit is illegal. But these are the best. Like, to me, I was like, I'm looking at the UFC, and I'm like, well, you guys, these are the best fighters in the world? Like, these are the best heavyweights? Meanwhile, before Vanderlei showed up, I'm like, yo, Vanderlei's a fucking murderer. Vanderlei looked like a murderer in Like, Vanderlei, Rampage. Uh, I mean, they sent Chuck Liddell over there to fight Rampage. Like, Hendo Pride was crazy. Dude. You go down the list. Hendo's tiny, yo. Dude, yes. Alistair Overeem. Uh, Ricardo Arona. Like, oh, there's so many guys dude. that were in pride. Like, when I... Oh, uh, what's the black dude's name? Who, Kevin? That was over who, there. Kevin Randleman? Randleman? Is that who you're talking about? I think so. Um, I don't think Kevin Randleman was blonde in pride, though. Yeah, he was. Really? Yeah. Okay. I think I saw a fight with him in Pride. Yeah, I mean, I've seen Randall fought, in UFC stuff. Dude, he fought Sakuraba. I wasn't sure if that was him in Pride. Dude. Like, again, I binged this all in a day. So, excuse me, people <laughs> listening who are like MMA purists. Uh, no, it was like a week. But um, if I'm forgetting, like, okay, no, they're going to yell at me. Randleman wasn't in Pride. He was a, like, yo. No, Rand- oh, he was. Randleman is that was Randleman. Yes. Yep. He fought Crocop. Yeah, yeah. So, yep. That's where I saw it. Yeah, it beat Crocop. Yes. Yep, I saw Randleman in Pride. Uh, he was way better in Pride than in the UFC. But most guys were like when Crow Cop showed up in the UFC, and everybody was dumb excited. This was towards the end of Crow Cop, and then he got hit. Then he loses by his very kick to Gabriel Gonzaga. I'll never forget watching that shit. It was like, what the oh, fuck yeah, is going on? Oh yeah, that shit's filthy. <laughs> yeah. Like, what is going on? Vanderlei? It's not the same guy. United, I mean, a lot of these guys weren't the same guy. And Fedor was like the Sting. Fedor was Sting, who never showed up. And when yeah. he did, when Sting finally showed up, it was over. So, like, a lot of people never got a chance to really see and appreciate what Fedor did. And when I, when, like, I, people were talking to me on social media. It was like, no, Stipe, Stipe. It's like, listen, Fedor beat a murderer's row of fighters in pride as a heavyweight for a decade. That shit is untouchable to me. I need, like, Stipe's still here. And he just recently lost. Fedor just mollywopped everybody. Everybody. They couldn't take him down. That Sambo style was ridiculous. Nobody could get with it. He had a chin of steel. 
and a right hand that nobody could fuck with. And then his jujitsu was on point. Like it wasn't until Fedor went to Strike Force and lost to Fabricio Verdum, and then people were like, "Ah, he was never that good." Dog, look at his record before that. Yeah. Greatest heavyweight ever. But Stipe is making a very good case because the greatest number two. Yes, the turnover in the UFC heavyweight title picture has been ridiculous. Yeah, like he's finally been able to defend the fight title a few times. Um, and the UFC heavyweight division has always been super weak. If we want to be honest, he's better than Kane. Remember when already? Remember when they said Kane was like the greatest heavyweight of all time? His heavyweight of all time, yeah. I mean, at that point, I was like, "Ooh, yeah, Kane's really good." You can't. You, you um, gotta wait. You gotta give guys time to yeah. fail, right? And see how they. Kane come back. might be top five heavyweight. Such a weird place, but Cormier to me is still top five heavyweight of all time. I agree. That man was winning the tournament. Yeah. Um, what he didn't strike for, I, I thought that was great. Winning the UFC title, heavyweight title, after being champ at light heavy, I, I think that. What, that was his first UFC heavyweight fight? Went in and won the title? To be champ champ? Yeah. So, Cormier is top five. Kane might be in there. Crow Cop, I think, deserves a seat. Well, no, no, no. Steve, I mean, Cormier was a, a heavyweight when he arrived. Like, he fought uh, Roy Nelson. Roy Nelson. Frank yeah. Mir. Yeah, you're right. And then you're he right. dropped down because Kane was down. champ and he wouldn't Kane fight Kane was him. in his way. He wouldn't fight yeah. him. But, yeah. You are right. Um, so... No, looking at that, it's like, yeah, it's just... I don't even know if Kane is top five heavyweights anymore. It's tough, man. It's tough because... Heavyweight is How is good weird. is Brock Lesnar, right? Like, really? Yeah. And then how good is Randy Couture? Like, people love Randy Couture. I get it. But Randy Couture would have got fucked up by Fedor. I promise you. Yeah, he would have got, got fucked up by anyone in this top five. Like, Fedor... Like, I, and I think Randy Couture was great. Even though his record was mediocre to a lot of people, but he fought everybody. But Fedor yep. was just on another level. So, Stipe, if he beats Ngannou, right, and if he were to beat John Jones, now we can really have a conversation. Oh, if he's to beat John Jones, he's putting himself in the greatest of all time category. He's, he's got to win. Like he, but that, that brings us to my next conversation, the greatest of all time. And that's, that's very tough, right? So, I put it into the top five pound-for-pound pound fighters in MMA history. This is what caused, and we'll end our show on this, this is what caused an uproar in our group chat. <laughs> it really did. Um, I'm not sure if George St. Pierre is in my top five of all time. That, that's ridiculous. That makes it absolutely... Not sure. How is he not? So if I concede that Fedor is the greatest heavyweight of all time, give me John Jones, give me Demetrius Johnson, give me Amanda Nunez, Give me Fedor. Give me Anderson Silva. That's my five. I will take GSP over Demetrius Johnson any day of the week. Woo! Who did DJ? What? Here's why. Who did DJ beat? Everybody. No, no, no. Who? <laughs> it was robbed once Who? by Triple C. Who? He beat Triple C. Who? Who? He cleared out the division. Who? Dodson, I guess, which doesn't look great in retrospect. Who? And this is only, I'm not saying... He beat everyone in front of him except at 135 where he lost to Dominic mm-hmm. Cruz. Who did GSP beat? Everyone in front of him. Matt Hughes, BJ Penn, when BJ Penn was on a tear. We really holding Matt Hughes to that? Oh, day? fuck yeah. Are you nuts? Okay. Like, Matt Hughes changed the game. Like Matt, yeah, that's fair. Okay, okay. Like okay. Matt Hughes, the, the whole dynamic. But the first name you threw out was Matt oh, you Hughes. have to give you that. because Matt Hughes was at the time the greatest welterweight ever, and when GSP first okay. fought him, 
and it got and got and lost to a TKO. Yeah, and lost. Yeah, and then pe- and then he came back and then ran rough shot over Matt Hughes and arm bombed the shit out of him. But this is when Matt Hughes it was like the game changed because Matt Hughes was a dominant welterweight champion. Everybody that watches him remembers the Carlos Newton slam. You remember all the things that he did. You remember the trick fight, and then he beats GSP with his young hot shot, and you're like, oh, well, he wasn't ready, right? But the other yep. thing you got to remember is like when Matt Hughes fought Hoist Gracie, which was a huge deal in the UFC at the time because Gracie was considered the best, and Matt Hughes just dominated him. And that's when the mixed part of mixed martial arts became a thing because Hughes could wrestle, but he could also strike. Yep. And now every fighter that yep. came after him had to learn how to do everything. And GSP, he got that second opportunity and never looked back. Just ran his ass over. And from that point, GSP rarely lost on any judges' scorecards. So we have Matt Serra. That that loss hurts. It, it shit ha- It's MMA. Shit happens. Stipe yeah, lost the fucking. Uh, yeah, that shit. Stuff is true. Shit happens. Yeah, I'll give you that. So the Matt Hughes loss, that's okay, that's a legit good loss. The Sarah loss was kind of out of the blue. Um, the BJ Penn fight was really good. The first one. Second one, alright, that looked like it was going to distance and get stopped. So I would say after beating Matt Sarah, avenging the loss, winning the title. Or unifying the title. Maybe he was um he had become interim before then. Cool. After that Sarah win is when I think I was introduced to nothing but boring GSP. I don't I see I don't call him boring. And again, this might be the same case why I said um Frankie Edgar didn't do it for me six years ago in my hot take. And that's because maybe he was that much better than the competition for that period of time. But even then, how he dominated them, it the fights weren't great. Like, I'll run down the list. And you just stop me when you say, like, oh, fuck, that fight was crazy. Right? So after the Sarah win, he goes, John Fitch. Unanimous decision. Yeah. Right? That's not a great... BJ Penn stoppage. That would have went to the distance. But wait, in my mind. first of all... Beat the shit out of BJ Penn. First, like, when we talk about John Fitch, we got to remember who yeah. John Fitch was heading into that fight. Undefeated for, like... Four years. Like, just mugging people. Because John Fitch's strength yeah. was never striking. It was grappling. No. And Crap. what did GSP yep. do? Beat him in his own fucking game. Wrestled the shit yeah. out of him. Yeah. Didn't give him <laughs> okay. a chance. But, again, that's maybe why I called it Bart. But, okay. He beat him in his own game. BJ Penn. Beat the shit out of BJ Penn. Um, Diago Alves. Who was a killer heading into that fight. And what and GSP did what he had to do to win. I mean, he neutralized him. He did. Are you saying that's wildly exciting? I mean, I don't know what you want. Okay, no, he he did what, what he had it, to do. Uh, Dan, wait, 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 Dan Hardy. Real quick, real quick. Demetrius Johnson fights were exciting. DJ was piecing people to fuck up. No, some were boring. Okay. I would argue to say some were more exciting. That mousetrap suplex, yeah, the right board arm bar, yes, yes, yes. that was great. It's fucking incredible. We all know that. Like the mouse, yeah, yeah, that killing was, triple C to the body was incredible. That, like, look, DJ has some great he, wins, but what yes, I'm saying is yes, that that division was so shallow, and the losses to Cruz okay. moving up hurts DJ. Whereas GSP was not only the greatest 
welterweight of all time. Then he he leaves the sport for four years, comes back and wins the middleweight title. You gotta give the man some credit. My mom's could have beat Michael Bisping at that uh, point. Clearly, Luke Rockhold couldn't. <laughs> well, we see what happened. Rock, yeah, Rockhold. I don't. I don't know what the hell it was. His I mean, problem. the champ is the champ, and GSP picked a spot, came and won the title. But prior to that, no old man, uh, Hendo beat Bisping. I saw it with my two eyes. I saw that. He dropped him three times in the first two rounds, and Bisping, Bisping barely held on, and I still don't think he won that fight. If it was new age scoring, he would have lost that by a million points because it would have been 10-7 and 10-8 rounds to start that fight. Bisping would have had no chance to win that fight and keep that belt. So, yes, my mom's could have beat Bisping. He came back, and one was rocked in that what, end of the first, early second, came back, piece of Bisping up, good night. So it was an even fight with him and a pretty shitty Bisping at that point. Look, point is, nobody had changed the game and brought so much appeal to the sport like GSP, even with a spot. I give him that. For even impact. with a spot. But who he beat, he beat all the top guys. At a time where Carlos Condit was a fucking murderer. Carlos Condit was a murderer. Jake Shields was on a toward run coming from Strike Force, and nobody could beat him. Right? Dan Hardy so, was hot at the time when he fought GSP. I tell you this. I've been, I told you I've been watching this uh, anime, My Hero Academia. There's the teacher, and his power is that he can remove anyone's powers. That's his power. So, Aizawa looks at people. Their powers are gone. Now it's just a mano a mano fight. That's GSP. His greatest strength is being able to take away someone else's strength. And a lot of times, that doesn't make for the most exciting fight. Dude, it makes him dominant, though. So he's, he is great. He's dominant. He's great. I feel I'm justified with leaving him outside of my top I think five. Because now we're splitting the hairs between greatness. Nah, I think. I, and I would take Mighty Mouse no. above him. No, because come on, man. Ray Boyd's tough. Man, listen, here's my problem with DJ. And it's not even DJ's fault. It's just it's the Roy Jones shit. It's who you fought and when you fought them. Ray Borg wasn't on a toward run. Nobody that DJ no. defended his title against was on like these runs where people were like, oh, he's going to beat DJ. Except for Triple C. Triple C looks great on that resume. <laughs> yeah, now. But then it was like, oh, well, whatever. But other than, like, GSP, everybody that fought GSP was coming off of, like, three- and four-year streaks of winning. Like, everybody that GSP fought. And Triple C was undefeated. I get you. I, I get you. I, and, just, and again, it was... I caught, and during the moment when I got into MMA, I caught the horrible run. I caught GSP winning the belt back. And then what I thought were some less-than-exciting fights. Uh, so maybe I just wasn't there for, like, the... You know, wearing the fucking tie around my head, coming out in the gi. Like, I, I wasn't fanboying over that when I first got into it. So maybe there's, you know, a little bit of got to be in the moment. I, I get that. I mean, the other part, But dude, looking back, I could put him at six. I can't. It feels okay. That's crazy. Because, like, if you put Fedor over GSP, this is where we split hairs. Fedor went yeah. on, on his back and got knocked out by a bunch of people along the way. GSP did yeah. not. GSP went yeah. out with the greatest curtain call in MMA history. Won the title yeah. and left. Like DC could have not that. be out. By the way, huh? He might. He, he might have one more. In. Eh, I don't know. I don't think so. He looks. He looks like he's taking something because the man looks shredded right now. Yeah, but I mean, I, I think Habib is really serious about one. Shit, I don't fight. know. If GSP is serious about that shit. <laughs> like, if I'm GSP, I'm like, yeah, okay, you can chill. But oh, 
That's another thing about GSP. One thing I did know, I showed up right in time to know that man was about his paper. Yeah, he got paid. Why shouldn't he? He was an attraction. Sky don't. No, he should. He should. So if they offer him enough paper, he might be right back. Maybe, but I, there's no there's no way in hell he's I'm not sure he wanted to retire again. There was just shit else to do after he beat Bisping, and he was like, right. "I just Dana wasn't going to pony up the cash." I'm just saying, there's no way in hell he's outside of the top five. It's impossible. GSP a top five? Okay, I'm not putting him at thirteen. No, but people act like in the chat like no, <gasps> I don't think he's outside of the top five. Like I think it's crazy to put DJ over him. I think it's lunacy. I, there's nobody else. Like, okay, John is still here, and that's going to be my only... I think John's the greatest mixed martial artist I've ever seen. But his career hasn't ended yet. So it's ho- No, but that run is it's, almost... It's incredible. Time. Yes, absolutely. Like, John Jones is going to have to fall off a fucking cliff to not be the number one fighter yeah. of all time. But I said the same thing about Anderson Silva. And Anderson Silva kind of fell off a cliff. So I can put GSP above Anderson Silva. Before, I couldn't. Because Anderson Silva wasn't just winning, he was running roughshod over fools. But the, between yeah. the Chael Sonnen fight, the first one, and the, how he's closed out his career, and the, I look at GSP, who's only lost two fights, and it made good on both of those fights in dominant fashion. I, GSP, dude. Again, I, I guess I like the flippy shit because I'm putting Silver over him. Yeah, I mean that's just because the excitement of the fight. The excitement is like, great, but again, you gotta look at I, wins I mean, and get losses. caught up in the moment. Like, I, look, I love it. Like, but again, when we talk about splitting hairs here, you're splitting the the shortest. Well, here here's here's my argument against Anderson Silva, in combination to the other things I said. Anderson Silva knocked out Forrest Griffin. Come on, man. Come on, Forrest Forrest Griffin. Like GSP has beat a lot of people. I don't think I'm not saying Forrest Griffin was bad, but it just wasn't. Come GSP on, like this level of competition. Come on, they really should have fought and settled this, and we would have been. And, fine. The, and the, like there's other fights, man. The Damian Maya fight for Anderson Silva. You talk about a stinker. Yeah, Patrick Cote. That like wasn't the when greatest. you like when you really start slicing it up with Anderson Silva, you run into an issue where it's like, well, yeah, he, I mean he's. He's amazing, obviously. He's one of the greatest of all time, and he was so dominant. Another guy who I thought beat Bisping, by the way. So you take that loss for what it was. He knocked his ass so out. So you have, like, let's run like run this down. Like, he, yes, he beat Dan Henderson. That was huge at UFC 82. He beat Rich Franklin when Rich Franklin was the greatest middleweight of all time. And then Anderson Silva shows up and was like, fuck all that. I'm going to just destroy your face. He yep. beats Vitor Belfort with a front kick from hell. Okay. But then. Fucking incredible. He, then it's like, okay, well, you should Okami? Mm. Stephen Bonner? Yeah, right. mm, okay. Now it's like... All right. Yeah, I thought he looked good enough. I mean, but <laughs> Stephen Bonner's not good. That's my point. No, but he looked yeah, good. But of course, like, Anderson Silva is that good. He was like the Roy Jones MMA. But then but then you look at who he fought in comparison to who GSP fought, and you're like, hmm, I'll take GSP over that. Because the other part of it is Anderson Silva losing to Weidman, Bisping, Cormier, Adesanya, Jared Cannonier. I will take you through that. So, Bisping, you knocked his ass out. I saw it with my two eyes. But sure, you count that however you want. The Cherosan in near loss is still just that, a near yes, loss. true. Then he loses to Daniel Cormier, who could have easily, with a win this past night, been on this list. So he loses to Cormier when he took that fight in two days. Brock Lesnar bounces. He was like, I got you. Whatever. He showed up to watch the fight. Yeah. Jumped into that. 
All right, lost to Adesanya when he had no business being in there with this guy at his age. And you know what? Looked pretty damn good. And Cannonier, who is, I believe, one fight away from a title shot. But the Derek Brunson win is a fight that a lot of people didn't think Anderson won either. That's fair. So, so again. The Nate Diaz win wasn't yeah, the, Nick, the most excited for him. But when we're talking about greatness, I have to. Some of those losses aren't that bad. I just have to say GSP has only lost twice. And that has to mean something because he made good on both of those by running over the opponent. So it does have to. Be so he's beat. He's little. He's legitimately defeated everybody they've put in front of him. No, that's fair. It does. It does have to count for something. I. I guess. I mean, listen. On paper, fuck it. You might be right. On paper, the guy is tough. I me personally, I still am not going to say like, man, I gotta go back and watch that GSP run. But okay, I'll give it to you. GSP over Mighty Mouse and Anderson Silva, if I have to give it to you. So what, GSP is three. Four? He's four. I mean, who's two? Amanda Nunez is two. And I don't care what anyone mm. says. She, she's arguably one. She's, but I just have this high level of respect for John Jones right now. But she has beaten every champion at 135 ever. Every champion at 125 ever. This, I mean, multiple promotions. This is and every champion at one forty-five. Ever. This is fair. That's that's ridiculous. This is fair. This yeah, is fair. Like, like I think, I think Nunez. She is, could be one. I'm, right now, I'm putting Nunez at three. Okay. Uh, who's two? GSP, and one is John Jones. Until John Ooh. Jones falls off a cliff, I, I, he's the greatest mixed martial artist I've ever seen. That has to happen, and then I have to go. Well, look how John ended his career with like seven straight losses. Then I'd be like, all right, well, GSP. New, but the case you just made for GSP, Nunez blows that shit out of the water. Well, my, if you want to, if you put level of competition, she beat the greatest, arguably ever, in Cyborg. Then she beat the hottest ever on a run, which is Ronda Rousey. <laughs> like she, she's beaten like the woman who beat Ronda. Like she's wiped everything clean I, I, and the most dominant champion at a different weight class. Here, Again, it's a it's a light argument against Nunez. It's not a, it's not a heavy argument because her place in top three is secure for me. The argument is yeah. this: Ronda Rousey was done when she fought Ronda. Done, okay, Completely done. Um, right. she she beat me. Can't say about side. No, absolutely not. I give I give her all the credit. Like, I, I mean, I can't take anything away from any of these victories. At a higher division, she went up. Yeah, no. That's that's GSP going up and fighting Anderson well, in their primes. In their prime, she went up to fight the indestructible Anderson Silva of the top division and fucked her up in a round. Yeah, no, nothing wrong there. Like, that's true. I wonder if Amanda Nunez would have always been a featherweight, but I will never know. Oh, that's... that's Because the division didn't exist. It still doesn't exist. It's just a title for a division that doesn't exist. Now, outside of that, because you take, like, the Holly Holm victory, okay, these are good victories, but can we agree that... Women's MMA has evolved a great deal because if women's MMA was like men's MMA, like because Matt Hughes in a way or BJ Penn in a way is like Amanda Nunez. And then the game changed and people figured this thing out because Ronda Rousey was the I guess you could call the Hoist Gracie of women's MMA. Because, I mean, you couldn't stop it. It was one discipline. You went in there, and then you just couldn't stop it. But then the game evolved and changed, and now it was like 
well, you got to learn more shit than a fucking hip toss and an arm bar, even though it was really creative okay. and really good, but some of these women have figured it out. So I kind of take just a hair off of Amanda because the cyborgs, you just can't. Like, that. you can't take anything away from that. But the Ronda win is just like, yeah, she's kind of washed. Misha Tate, okay. It's good. It's, I mean, these are really good victories. Don't get me wrong, but Misha Tate. Holly... Shevchenko twice. The, the only problem with Shevchenko, she was so that's, small. That was it. That's the only problem. Because okay, Shevchenko beat her to me the first time. Me too. I, I gave that one to Shevchenko, but it was a toss-up. It was a one-round fight. Like, you know, it was 1-1. It was only a three-round fight, excuse me. But it was 1-1, the toss-up round. I believe it was the second round. So I was like, okay. And uh, at that time, it was still when Amanda gassed all the yes. time. The, and this, this is my point. GSP has been dominant his entire career. Amanda Nunez found a second win and a second life in her career. Because she was pretty yeah, average for a while. She evolved with the sport. Yes. Yeah. Like she was the one who yeah. started evolving. So I need to see how Amanda's career ends before I can place her above GSP. I don't know. The accolades are already so heavy that like she could lose from here on out. And you can't take away any of those I mean, accolades. Again, like like, I'm, I'm just saying, it's, it's women's MMA, MMA is still relatively yeah. new and evolving where GSP evolved the sport himself. Like He was the man who came in gotcha. there and just shut it all down. So, Abandon New Year's is top three all time. I think that's also my, my mindset when it comes to fighting. It's really the opposite of my mindset when it comes to hip-hop, which is weird. But... In fighting, and I do this in boxing all the time, I judged my greatest list, my greatest of all time list, off of how dominant they were in a space. Right? So I, I pick a space, and I say, you, when I'm splitting hairs, I pick that space and say, who was more dominant? And I roll with that person. That's why I could put Ali so high on my list. Be like, oh, Ali lost towards the end. Cool, but in this space, in this vacuum, when we're splitting hair on greatness, I can say, in this space... He was better than anyone I've ever seen. Yeah, I mean, Sugar Ray Robinson in this space. His space was big as fuck. In this space, Sugar Ray Leonard to me is on the Duran. In this space, I've never seen anyone like him at lightweight. So he could be three for me. Four, three, four. I put Leonard above him. It's Leonard in this space was on fuck with yeah, him. Yeah, that's so fair. That's, that's that's how I split. You're going their career accolades. Will be my deciding splitting hair factor. Well, I'm, so under that, I give yeah, it. To you. I mean, I'm also going like when we get because dominance in the space is very important. But then when we get to the the tippy top of this argument, then you got to go. Well, yeah. shit. What is your overall record? Like, and okay. how long have you been dominant? All right, because it's not just a space. Like GSP, just like he had a couple of hiccups, and that's it. It was that's lost two fights. Yeah, two fights. So I, I can't. It also it it shows me. That we are who we are, and we've been this way since the beginning. Because yeah. we had a Jordan versus LeBron argument six years ago, and that's the same. We still carry the same viewpoints. Is that no one is, can ever take away Jordan's six rings and the career accolades. No one will ever touch that. But in a space, could you argue LeBron could be better? Not, and he ended up not doing anything in a space to dominate. But if he would have rattled off four in a row with Miami in a space... I would have said, okay, he ends his career with five. He's not Jordan six, and he has a bunch of losses in the finals. But, yeah, I consider him better than Jordan. Yeah. And people would have looked at me crazy. But in that space, I could have said he was more dominant than Michael I, Jordan. I just... And, but no one... That's hypotheticals because no one's gotten and, to that and, space and, in and basketball. The problem with, but the problem would always, in that space, that's my splitting. My hairs. problem will always be with LeBron, and we, we can let this go, is that 
He had to go to D Wade's team to become LeBron. Never gonna let him live. No, that I down. can't. When it comes to the Jordan conversation, <laughs> Jordan was never the number two. Never. And even though a lot of people say, well, LeBron was the number one, that was D Wade's team. D Wade, that that was his squad. He didn't get D Wade to come to Cleveland to win. He had to go and join D Wade to win. Very different. No one wants to go to Cleveland. It doesn't matter. Like, yo, leave Miami come to I'm Cleveland. I'm just saying, it's not like Chicago was the hot city when Jordan showed up. Chicago was trash. And then Jordan changed that entire dynamic around. It means something. That's fair. I will give it to you. So we've had this conversations of goats for long enough. We appreciate you guys for listening. I thought this was going to be a short show. It ends up being another two-hour show. So thanks for sticking with us. Hopefully you guys enjoyed it. We'll be bringing you wrestling this week on Thursday instead of earlier in the week on Monday. So hopefully you guys enjoy that as well. We have a preview coming up. Uh, is there a pay-per-view this weekend? <laughs> SummerSlam next Tuesday this, week. this weekend. Oh, shit. Really? It's- Yo, this month is flying by. So we got to preview SummerSlam, NXT, AW uh, as well because they're doing their show all out on television, breaking it into two nights. Yep. So we will have that to preview, tons to go on in pro wrestling. So thank you guys for listening. Shout out to the sponsors. Shout out to Blue Wire, the network. White Claw, we still need the sponsorship, baby. We got four, but we'll take five sponsors. It's not a problem. Make sure you guys follow us on social media at corner podcast underscore and it's corner club for life on instagram me at kel dansby him at andreas hale we appreciate you guys stay rona free stay safe until next time we're out peace sports are coming back and so are your chances to bet on your favorite teams and events major league baseball has finally kicked off this week and there's no better place to start wagering than our exclusive partners bet online check out all the odds futures and props to bet on all available 24 7 and with the return of sports bet online sat down with former pro players eddie george harold reynolds and seven-time nba champ robert ori See what they had to say on what it'll be like playing without fans in a series they're calling Fandemic. Visit betonline.ag for all your odds and up-to-date sports news. Remember to use promo code BLUEWIRE to receive your new welcome bonus. That's promo code BLUEWIRE. BetOnline, your online wagering experts.